Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, it's finally here, the day you've all been waiting for. I know I've been waiting for it. <laughs> Apologies for it coming out so late. Here we are, March. Uh, but it's the beginning of March, so we're not quite a you know a quarter of the way through 2022, and we're going to be talking a look back uh, at the year that was 2021 Comic Source Awards Best of. So uh, Rocky and I obviously uh, are going to talk about our favorite books and characters and creators from the year 2021. If you're joining us on YouTube, uh, I, you know, there won't be necessarily a buildup because we're going to throw up the graphic and you'll know right away who, you know, who our picks are. But in terms of if you're listening to the podcast, as I always do, I'll do some honorable mention to kind of build up to it. Uh, but yeah, this was, it's always fun to do. And, you know, I've said this a thousand times at this point that I always tell myself, okay, next year I'm going to make notes on the books as I read them. So I won't have to go back and try to remember everything. Um, and I've never done it, but I'm going to do, I, I, as my God is my witness, I'm going to do it this year. So uh, it's on the list. I just needed to get this one out of the way. So with all that being said, there's a lot of categories to get through. I usually do a rundown of the categories, but you know what? In the interest of saving time, uh, we're not going to do that this year. So if you haven't listened to one of these before, you'll even be surprised by the categories. So uh, with that being said, uh, we'll kick it off. Rocky and I will we'll alternate. So uh, I'm going to let you go first, Rock. Our first category, best new hero or hero team of 2021 uh, of 2021. So this is a hero or a team who debuted in a book that was released in 2021. And when I say released, I mean uh, actually like hit the stands 
in 2021. So publishing date not always doesn't always match up. Uh, so yeah, who's your best hero or hero team for uh, for 2021? Well, uh, I know this this might be kind of a cheat, and maybe you'll disqualify 100% me. 100 cheat. Uh, it's 100 percent cheat, but I I I, <laughs> I, I don't really care because I uh, my my best uh, my best new hero, hero team, and I consider them a hero team is uh, the Suicide Squad uh, that that came out of Future State. And uh, while Future State may have been hit and miss with some people, uh, Amanda Waller's new team there with uh, uh, that that whole group of, of, of Match and uh, Celebra and uh, 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 God, Talon and just uh, j- just the crossovers and the, you know, it, of course it's built up and it's led to into 2022 here with uh, War for Earth 3. But I just fell in love with that team. And I can, there might be a little bit of an anti-hero, might be a cheat, but that's my pick and I'm sticking to it. So, you know, so it's, it's, it's always interesting when somebody goes this direction, you know, Um, because you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, well, I'm going to pick a version of the Justice League. And that's kind of new because, you know, everybody's been a member of the Justice League at at some (laughs) point or another. But I like to pick whether it's a cheat or not could be argued. But here, the point being that these are characters that aren't showing up in a bunch of other places, you know. Like a yeah. version of the Justice League, these are characters we know. Just because it's Green Arrow instead of Martian Manhunter, you know, doesn't mean it's necessarily a new lineup. But when you're talking about new characters like Calibra, or characters we haven't seen in a long time, like Match or Nocturna or uh, Peacemaker, yeah, I think it works on, on a lot of levels. So. And, and a shout out to Robbie Thompson. A shout out to Robbie Thompson, the writer on it. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, maybe he's not my favorite writer for 2021, 2021, but he's a very good writer and kudos to, to Robbie Thompson on that, on his work on Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, sad to see that, um, it's ending this year. So, yeah. uh, all right. I'm going to give a quick rundown of some, uh, other, some other characters that I, that I considered for this. Cause there, there's a lot, there's a lot of good, good characters this year, uh, or last year, 2021, uh, there's a new ja- uh, Black Knight, in case you guys aren't aware. Jackie Chopper is her name. She's the daughter of Dane Whitman, who most people know as the Black Knight. Uh, debuted in Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number one, created by Simon Spurrier and Sergio Davila. Uh, she's a fan favorite already, and I would expect to see more. We've already seen more of her in 2022, and I expect even more of that coming. You know, rumors of Black Knight showing up in the MCU at some point. Uh, I also considered uh, Tai Wan, who is Takugi. Uh, who showed up in Taskmaster Volume 3, Number 3, from Jed McKay and Alessandro Vitti. He's a member of that Tiger Division, which is really popular and, and got a lot of speculator uh, interest for the year of 2021. Uh, I was surprised that you didn't consider, and maybe you did, Rocky, Gold Beetle from Future State, from Jeremy Adams and Fernando Passerin. Uh, she's a fascinating character <laughs> uh, and a lot of fun. It literally a mashup between uh, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. So uh, I thought about her. Yeah, I I, uh, I wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Gold Beetle, although she is she is a lot of fun. She's a lot of fun. I'll, I'll yeah. answer that. But, uh. Yeah, and then I, I thought Miracle Molly, and when she was first introduced, we didn't know if she was going to be a hero or villain. I think she's shown uh, with her role in Fear State, definitely a hero. Uh, James Tynan, Jorge Jimenez, first appearance Batman uh, number one hundred six, and then the glories from We Have Demons from uh, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Jonathan Glapion. Dave McCaig, they're a whole lot of fun, and we re- uh, reviewed them all. And um, I think uh, if you're if you haven't gone to check them out, I, I do recommend that. And then uh, the Glowing Man or or Tarek Geiger from Geiger, created by Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brad Anderson on colors, 
he's a fascinating character. I hope we see more of him uh, from Mad Go Studios. But ultimately, spoiled by my shirt that I'm wearing here, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, I had to go with Radiant Black. Um, he's just – what Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa and team have done on Radiant Black is uh, something to be commended. Um, it's uh, He's a character who actually had two different secret identities in the course of only a year because they pulled the rug out from under us with issue four uh, and Nathan, the original radiant black uh, losing the the powers and his best friend, Marshall taking him over who's sort of more suited actually <laughs> to be a, a superhero. So um, exceeding expectations, subverting the genre uh, and, and a really loyal fan following already. So for that reason, I went with, uh, with radiant black as my, uh, as my pick for best hero. So yeah. uh, all right, moving on to the next category. It's uh, best new villain or villain team. Same uh, rules apply. Uh, <laughs> a few different uh, choices here. Uh, I thought Autour IO was really fascinating. I think Rocky and I both really enjoyed the run that Gene Luen Yang uh, did on Batman Superman, introducing this uh, villain who was taking uh, alternate realities or parts of the DC multiverse converting them to celluloid film and then like storing them. There's so much metatextual stuff there. So he's just really interesting. Uh, again, created by Gene Luen Yang, uh, Ivan Harris as the, uh, the artist on that. I also thought about Blacktop Bill, Noctera, uh, again, Scott Snyder, this time with Tony S. Daniel, Tamei Moray on, uh, on colors. He's evil incarnate and a really, a villain that you really root against and, and just dislike. He's so, unlikable and evil uh he like he, he uh evokes uh, an emotional and a physical response which i think the best villains do uh the demons from we have demons uh that are infused with the horn um that whole concept is very interesting how they can subvert people who were once good turning them bad um but ultimately i went with another i mean it's funny Three out of my four possible picks here were all Scott Snyder creations. It goes to show you how good Scott is at, at creating villains. Uh, but ultimately, I went with the ghoul from Night of the Ghoul. So uh, created by Scott Snyder, his artistic collaborator on this project is uh, Francisco Francavilla. And I think the reason I chose it is because of the explanation that Scott and uh, Francesco gave about how all of those classic monsters, the, kind of that you could think of as universal monsters, they're all, all the legends of them actually come from different iterations of the ghoul where he, where the ghoul is in its life cycle, whether that's a werewolf or a mummy or a zombie or uh, Dracula or any of that, it, it, it's actually all just one monster. It's actually all the ghoul. Um, and I, I just love that concept. So, uh, so that's what I went with for my pick. Uh, how about you, Rocky? Uh, well, uh, I did cheat again. I went with task force Z and I'm not going to belabor the point, but I, this was the year of the suicide squad. I loved it. I loved the suicide squad movie. I loved the, I loved what they did with the comics. They are heroes. They're anti-heroes and task force Z with Lazarus resin, Jason Todd, who's kind of an anti-hero, but it's led by uh, two face. I went with that. I'm going to stick to it, but I'm, I, I want to mention sort of like a sleeper best new villain sort of I'm going to sneak it in the category. It's also a little bit of a cheat. And I want to mention Chip Sardaski's uh, Stillwater uh, because the town itself, this town where the town never ages and uh, they're almost always immortal, that just uh, the exploration of the darker sides of humanity in this town, in a town that is sort of almost in a civil war with itself over its darkest aspects and lighter aspects. Uh, it's got it's got some very interesting... So it's not just 
one villain, but like it's it's like the town's breaking up into almost like factions, and it's a very very fascinating exploration of the darkest sides of of uh, human nature. So Stillwater would be uh, again maybe a little bit of a cheat, but I'm sorry, man, I'm cheating in this first two categories, but it's got to be done. But my my I got to go with Task Force Z, runner up Stillwater. <laughs> oh, sorry, your your volume is down. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I don't think you'll ever go wrong in in calling out something that Zardaski's doing. He's he's quite a, uh, a a writer that's at the top of his game right now. So, uh, okay, moving on to number three, our best new ongoing comic. So this is a comic again that debuted uh, that would actually hit comic shops in 2021. Um, so what's your pick there, Rock? Well, mine was, uh, and I'm assuming it it did. And if it's not, then I'm disqualified. But I went with Geiger. Uh, uh, you know, Jeff Johns, uh, Gary Frank, just, just a fantastic job. You mentioned it before as one of your favorite potential, uh, uh, new, new superhero characters or heroes is the glowing man by Mad Go Studios. It's just, it's just, it's just fantastic. It, it really is. It's, it's Jeff Johns at, at his best brand new character, brand new, a mythology, a brand new world. You know, Jeff Johns is so great at, at creating and, and adding to the and fixing up the continuity of the DC universe. It's so fantastic that he's exploring. He's creating this universe of his own in this sort of dystopian future following the nuclear holocaust with the glowing man and 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 creating already new characters. in his. he recently had the, the Geiger 80 page giant, which is exploring and expanding that universe, bringing so much into play. It's, uh, you know. There's no, there's no question that, uh, you know, unfortunately I review mostly DC comics, but if I was going to expand out more and had the, had the time to do it, Geiger would be on top of that list. So, yeah, I don't think it's uh, a bad pick at all. And here's the other thing. So Geiger was on my short list as well. Um, and one thing I'll just add to what Rocky is saying is, is, you know, this mad ghost, um, imprint at image that Jeff Johns has kicked off with Gary Frank and Brad Anderson and a bunch of his other friends. Uh, and and former collaborators, Geiger's the first book in in a universe, right? There's so much more to come with that. And if you read the Geiger 80 page giant that actually came out this year, you'll you'll have got a glimpse of some of the other uh, characters uh, that are coming up. Uh, I think Red Red Coat, I think is his name, is is one. And then we have this this uh, robotic GI uh, soldier that's coming as well. Um, they had to pick one to go with first to, to kind of establish. And the fact that they went with Geiger, this futuristic story, but a very human story, uh, I think says a lot about the power of that character, that he was somebody they could sort of uh, build this shared universe on. So a fantastic pick. Um, I have a couple of uh, books that I've already mentioned <laughs> that were on my list as well. Again, Scott Snyder uh, and Tony S. Daniel on Noctera. That book has been absolutely outstanding and it's gotten even better this year with the second arc the last issue completely blew me away with what happened i mean just it, it was like a holy shit moment uh at the end of that issue so uh, i definitely considered that uh also clear uh where scott snyder is collaborating with francis manipul rocky and i have both been big fans it's something new it's something different it feels fresh the art is absolutely fantastic the story is very compelling and intriguing and it's that juxtaposition of doing this gumshoe crime noir story with super advanced technology. The, the pendulum of technology has swung over so far that instead of doing what technology is supposed to do and bring us closer together, it's actually isolating us. And that is a fascinating concept. Again, go and listen to uh, Rocky and I go, go check out 
Comic Boom YouTube channel for the reviews of that. But ultimately, I went with uh, Radiant Black uh, for the reasons I mentioned before. Kyle Higgins really subverting the superhero genre along with artist Marcelo Costa, letter Becker, uh, letterer Becky Cara. Um, it it just constantly surprises. It's fun. It's bombastic. It's over the top. The art is pitch perfect for what they're trying to do with the series. Uh, so it, it's hard to overstate how awesome this is. And for people that are fans of things like Invincible, this is really the, the new generation of that. But Kyle, and he's been on the show several times, and he talks about taking big swings and really challenging himself and, and challenging what the genre is and challenging expectations. And, but it doesn't lose sight of the fact that it's a comic and it should be fun. And that's something that uh, it does really, really well. So, I mean, you can see I'm wearing my Radiant Black uh, T-shirt <laughs> for, uh, for the occasion, and it's absolutely fantastic. I can't say enough good things about, uh, about Radiant Black. So... Uh, all right, moving on. Best limited series. So this one is this one ends up being a little tough to do um, because we we want to do series that have completed. So for that reason, we only consider uh, we only consider books where the final issue of the series has come out in um, in twenty twenty one. So it, it becomes a little problematic when it's only the final issue or final two issues and the majority and momentum of the story actually came out in 2020. That's the case with my pick, but um, I do want to mention a couple of others and I had a lot. There's so many great limited series uh, this last year. And part of it is like, what is considered a limited series anymore? That That's another part that, that makes it tough because yeah. if you're talking about a company like Aftershock, well, every one of their series is four or five issues, but are they considered limited? So it, I could have listed any number of Aftershock titles, uh, but the only Aftershock title that I did actually mention uh, is B. Claymore's Miles to Go. It's fantastic. It's going to be on my list for several categories that I, I thought about naming just because it's so good. And I don't think enough people read it and uh, it wasn't a complete story. I know B. Clay has some more uh, story he can tell on it, but it, it was just, it was so good and, and so surprising. And again, I just think not enough people, we're, we're paying attention to it. And so I wanted to, to call it out here as kind of my one um, Aftershock book that I remembered. So B. Claymore, the writer, Stephen Molnair uh, is the artist. Uh, Generation Shattered and Forged from uh, DC. Again, it came out early in the year. Maybe a lot of people forgot about it. Um, this was sort of what we got from the um, aborted uh, Generations title that was supposed to happen when Dan Didio was at the helm of DC. It was supposed to be, you know, Generation Zero and then one all the way through five, five being when uh, the new heroes took over Luke Fox and Jace Fox or whoever, you know, uh, uh, Jackson Hyde as um, as Aquaman and Yara Floor as Wonder Woman and John Kenneth Superman. And, you know, that all got thrown out when when Dan Didio left and they sort of salvaged it. But the thing that I loved about it, it was coming out at the same time uh, metal death metal was coming out. And that was sort of narratively a mess. And I've talked about the reason why I just think trying to stuff too many ideas into the, the real estate they had. Uh, but this was this generation series was such a throwback to what events were, where everything was much more clean. Uh, and the fact that Dan Jurgens was one of the writers, I think, really helped because he's got so much experience doing that, uh, along with Robert Venditti and Andy Schmidt as, as co-writers. There was a ton of artists, Rags Morales, Yannick Paquette, Brian Hitch, uh, Emmanuel Lupacchino, John Romita Jr., Kevin Nolan, Doug Braithwaite. Um, it was a lot of fun. So I wanted to mention that. Modoc Head Games. 
Here's another one that was really fun. Leaned in the idea of who Modoc is. If you watch the Hulu show, um, and Patton Oswalt and Jordan Blum, the writers, they specifically said, "Hey, we're taking every version of Modoc, whether it's from the Hulu cartoon, whether it's from the more serious Modoc that's appeared in the Marvel comics, and we're mashing them all up and making it work." And they did. <laughs> they married all those different versions, uh, and it was just a lot of fun. So art art there was by Scott Hepburn. Uh, that was a lot of fun. As I said, Rorschach, we can't not mention Rorschach um, from uh, from Tom King and Jorge Fornes. Uh, we talk about it ad nauseum on the show, so I'm not going to go into detail, but it's it's absolutely fantastic. Other history of the DC Universe, John Ridley uh, with a, a variety of artists. That was another one that uh, I think not enough people talked about. There was sort of talk about it when the uh, the first issue came out. And then it kind of went away. I feel like the rest of it flew under people's radars and they didn't realize it was still coming out. So the art by Giuseppe Comicola, the format with a lot of um, text going along with the um, the art, I thought was absolutely fantastic. So I got to give that a shout. Maniac of New York uh, from artist Andrea Moody and writer Elliot Kalin was a lot of fun. Again, there's tons of coverage on it on my podcast. So go and listen to that. Listen to the interviews I've had with uh, Elliot Kalin. ENIAC, I, I put this on there, but I, I didn't really give Bad Idea any awards, although I think they deserve them. Um, just because the, it's hard to get uh, your hands on the books, that'll change. I imagine if Bad Idea ever comes back, maybe that's why they're taking a break right now. But written by Matt Kent, art by Doug Braithwaite, absolutely fantastic. Mr. Miracle, Source of Freedom. I put this one on there because I think Rocky and I were both surprised by how well Brandon Thomas sucked us in. We, we both said, who's asking for a miniseries about this version of Mr. Miracle, when you think Mr. Miracle, you think Scott free, right? So why are we getting this, you know, this other version that, that is, I don't want to say a, a lesser version, Shiloh Norman, but that that's sort of the perception. Um, and I think that uh, he really, Brandon Thomas, the writer really exceeded all expectations. Uh, Rocky and I both really, really loved it. So I think it worked on a lot of levels and I wanted to, to shout it out. Um, and I can't. Do you remember who the artist was on that, Rocky? Uh, on which one? On uh, Mr. Miracle, Source of Freedom. Oh right man, here. no, I can't. Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm looking. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. It was uh, Fico Osio. He did a fantastic uh, job. Right. So I got to yeah give a shout out to that. And then the last one I'll shout out before I give my pick is Kang. Uh, you know he's coming up in the MCU. A lot of people interested. The Kang series that came out. Uh, and, and ended, I think it ended in December. Um, it, it gave such a, a fascinating look at the character, especially in terms of, of who, it didn't change who he was. It, it was so interesting that you sort of end up right in the same place you start by the time the series ends. What was so fantastic about it was it was, it's a comic that is very much the journey, right? Not the destination. So that was absolutely fascinating. It's written by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, Carlos Magno gave us some fantastic art. If you haven't read that and you're, you're curious to learn about Kang, I highly recommend that. But ultimately, the, the book that I did choose, and again, a lot of it was in 2020, so I apologize uh, that it wasn't as big of a thing in 2021, but I had to pick it. It's Joker Harley Criminal Sanity from Cami Garcia. It had a couple of artists on it who – whose work was just completely transcendent. Miko Suyan and Jason Badawer. Um, it I can't say enough about this book. It is my favorite Harley thing ever. It's a version of Harley that doesn't lean in at all into the zany, crazy kind of thing, but it's still a version of Harley that feels that 
sort of subconscious attraction to who the Joker is. It's a much more grounded and realistic take on Joker Harley. Harley's a criminal profiler. Joker is is just starting out. He, it makes much more sense. It's much more grounded in reality, who he is, why he becomes a serial killer, why he makes the choices that he makes. But ultimately, the reason that it works is that artwork um, from Miko Suyan and Jason Battler that is a, a, almost a photorealistic style, which, again, grounds it in this world that feels so possible, that feels so realistic. So a huge category. Again, so many fantastic limited series that came out last year. But ultimately, I got to go with Joker Harley, uh, Criminal Sanity. Uh, what about you, Rocky? What's your pick? Uh, well, I, first of all, I, I love your choice, Joker Harley. It's uh, that was uh, Criminal Sanity was a fantastic series. I'm not going to belabor all the wonderful series you mentioned. I, <laughs> I agree with so much of it. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I, what I chose here was a little bit of a sleeper hit for me, I, and I think it's, uh, I think it's under highly underrated as well as I think it's one of the best limited series, and I think it's going to be more appreciated in the years to come. And that is Resistance Uprising by J. Michael Straczynski. It's by AWA Upshot. Uh, it, it did have an original series. We talked, you talked before, you alluded to the fact that sometimes this category is a little bit definite, you know, in defining what best limited series means can sometimes be problematic. This is six issues. In, in a sense, it's almost like a story arc, but it, it really is good. It, it takes place. I, I mean, think of think of a think of a coronavirus that wipes out. That's much more serious, wiping out ninety nine percent of humanity. The one percent that remains, one percent of that one percent gains superpowers. And then, how does that change the structure and the politics of the world? I find it fascinating. To me, it's the the most exciting and dramatic and crazy and super heroic and fantastical parts of politics and comics but in a cool way and uh and uh, j michael straczynski uh in the past did a series called rising stars and it's sort of similar in themes to that but just exploring it in a different way i really like it resistance uprising guys give awa upshot they've got other series as well i could talk about but we're pressed for time and we could talk forever because there's so many fantastic comic books out there and certainly jace you mentioned a bunch of them but res the resistance uprising is definitely it's six issues long it's worth checking out and it's got uh, you can go in blind, but you, there's also a previous six-issue series called The Resistance that's a, sort of a prequel to that if you want to get the full story. Yeah, so next category, best. And I do agree that, that a lot of that AWA stuff is flying under the radar, uh, and I don't think it should be because it is really, really fantastic, especially uh, the stuff that, um, that J. Michael's doing because he's really establishing kind of a shared universe there. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, next category is best single issue or one shot. So this is a, a single issue of an ongoing series or a one shot that we uh, that we thought stood out. So, uh, what's your pick here, Rock? Well, my my one shot uh, is uh, the third issue of the uh, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow series. It's eight issues long, but the third issue by Tom King is a it can be a standalone issue. That's what I find so extraordinary about it. I think it's just fantastic. I love the themes that it dealt with. It was the it was Supergirl, uh, along with uh, Ruthie, the girl who uh, wants Supergirl to help avenge the death of her father, who's a rock farmer on her native planet. And in looking for this uh, creme of Yellow Hills, this serial killer, they end up on this planet where there's there's uh, basically two races of the blues and the purples. And it's a story about race. It's a story about genocide. It's a story about indifference. It's a it's a it's a story. That is ultimately tragic and yet uh, at the same time shows how heroic Supergirl is. And it shows, uh, to me, it's a metaphor for showing humanity at its darkest and also its brightest. I think it's absolutely fantastic. 
I think is a single issue. I've, 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 I've I know I'm an outlier here, and, and you've joined me at times, think uh, suggesting that Tom King deserves an Eisner nomination. I think for that, yeah, it's it's one of my single. Well, it's my best one shot of of 2021. There's a couple others I can mention, but this is we're talking about the best here. And my choice, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, issue three. Yeah, so this I, I thought this was a tough category um, as I was going through and looking at it, and then I I came across something uh, that I had forgotten, um, and it ended up making it almost anticlimactic in in what I chose. So, uh, but I'll name some others first. So Rorschach number eleven uh, from Tom King, Jorge Fornes, I thought was done really really well because it recaps the series, and issue twelve ends up being almost like a an epilogue or. Um, like the, the central mystery of the story basically is, is all laid out for you in 11 and the way that it puts all the puzzle pieces together, I thought was just fantastic. So had to put that on there. Uh, the 60th anniversary issue of fantastic four, which was fantastic Four 35 or legacy number 680 was a lot of fun. Uh, it had, it was written by Dan slot joined by Mark Wade and Jason Liu. There was various stories in there. John Romita jr. Paul Renaud, Cam Smith on art. It had this modern telling uh, or, I mean, I say modern retelling. So the origin of the Fantastic Four that we all know, but when I say modern, the Paul Renaud art is is fast, fantastic. The the, uh, the sort of aesthetic of it looks very modern, but the the origin is all still the same, the classic one that we remember. Uh, but the story bounces around through time, taking on these different Kangs, and between the the different Kang versions of Kang that they take on, Immortus, Scarlet Centurion, all those kind of guys, and the artwork and and the way the the style of the artwork mimics these six decades of Fantastic Four has existed is just fantastic. It's everything the Fantastic Four is in one anniversary issue. So I, I, I almost picked that as my winner until I remembered the, the ultimate winner. Also, the Hank Howard piece, uh, Pizza Detective, just because it was such a wild idea from Robert Venditti with art by uh, David Lapham. This idea that uh, it reminded me of the Seinfeld episode with the, the library cop. Here's this guy. He's a pizza detective. He investigates stolen pizzas and crimes at pizza places, and that's all he focuses on. And the fact that it was only available for one day and it was only a dollar, it was just a really fun idea. Uh, going back to the Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four Life Story from um, artist Sean uh, Isaacs and uh, Mark Russell was really, really fantastic. I'm not going to talk about specifically why it hit so hard because I have it in another category and you'll find out uh why then also i thought the aquaman 80th anniversary was really good because when rocky and i reviewed it i'm not it has so many it's like 30 or 40 creators so i'm not going to name anybody because i don't want to uh leave anybody out but all these 80th anniversaries the level of the stories kind of goes up and down some are great some aren't that was one that we reviewed where every story was at least better than average every story was good if not great so i wanted to give that a shout out the beginning of tom taylor's run on nightwing is absolutely fantastic it's it does what Rocky and I talk about with DC so often that they overlook and that's forgetting about the hope and the positivity of the DC universe. That comic nearly made me cry when uh, Dick Grayson is reading the letter from Alfred. So there's something to be said for that. But ultimately once I realized that wonder woman Historia came out in November, uh, I could not pick it. I couldn't <laughs> not pick it. It is an I've excellent been, choice. Excellent choice. Yeah. I, I've been anticipating this series for so long since they first announced what black label is. It took a long time to come out. I don't mind that it took a long time to come out. If you've seen the artwork from uh, uh, Jimenez, Phil Jimenez, you'll understand why it took as long as it did. And Kelly Sue DeConnick did a fantastic job. 
Uh, there's three issues greenlit. She's got nine planned. Hopefully, based on sales, they'll get there. But it's stunning. It's it's just stunning. There's no there's no words. There's nothing I can say to kind of convey what an amazing piece of art it is because it transcends just being a comic book. It's just absolutely fantastic. So as soon as I realized, oh wait, this came out uh, in because I don't know, time just blurs. <laughs> but I thought for some reason I was thinking it came out in January, but no, it came out in November, last week of November in uh in 2021 so yeah i mean look at if you're watching us on youtube look at that that is stunning that is so good the this uh the double page spread with all the vases it's just it's fantastic so again absolutely had to pick it so uh, all right moving on next category is best cliffhanger or moment so this is a cliffhanger or a moment in a comic that was released in 2021 um and again i'll I run through i'll run through uh various ones that i thought about so going back to rorschach 12 uh, the detective, he's never named, in issue 12, that anticlimactic moment, spoilers if you haven't read it, he takes out Turley and the campaign manager, and you sort of see it coming because he, you know, it, during the course of, an, of his investigation, he gets sucked into the persona of Rorschach, understands why the kid and uh, Myers and did what they did. So I thought that was cool. Uh, going back to Stillwater that Rocky mentioned, the fact that the kids at the moment when uh, the main character's taken over and he sees like this Ewok type village in the trees and he realized the kids have been scheming all along uh, is fantastic. Going back to Fantastic Four Life Story number three, why it was on my list for best uh, single issue. Again, the, the whole idea of Life Story is it takes place in real time. So you get one issue in the 50s, one issue is in the 60s, next issue is in the 70s, so on and so forth. The Human Torch sacrifices himself to save the world from nuclear holocaust. There's a missile that's been launched. Again, I'm not going to get into the story in details, but the only way to stop this missile is to go up and intercept it, go Nova, and blow it up before it hits New York City. Johnny Storm does that and dies, and it's a very poignant moment. Um, a recent one, uh, I don't know if you guys have been reading Captain Marvel from Kelly Thompson. It's fantastic. Recently, the binary uh, version of, of Carol Danvers, she manifested that as sort of a separate character, and there's going to be a lot of that the fallout and consequences of that coming in 2022. So that was really cool. Uh, Chip Zdarsky spooned himself. So for those that don't know, Chip Zdarsky is a pen name. His real name is Stephen Murray. In crossover number eight, as Chip Zdarsky is being pursued by this character who we now know to be Negan, who's a serial killer and he's killing comic book creators because in the world of crossover, comic book worlds crossover with the real world, Stephen Murray meets up with Chip Zdarsky and they spoon in a hotel room because Chip Zdarsky is running for his life and is very scared. And so he runs into the real life Stephen Murray. They spoon in a hotel room. It's really funny. Uh, continuing that idea and crossover of how comic creators exist in this world. The writer of crossover, the artist is Jeff Shaw, but the writer is Donnie Cates. He shows up at the end of issue 10 as this cliffhanger moment. And Donnie Cates writing Donnie Cates is just funny and fantastic. Uh, there was two moments from Chicken Devil. If you're not reading this uh, from Brian Buccioletto, you're missing out from Aftershock. Hayden Sherman's the artist. This guy who's just a, a regular everyday guy gets involved with the Russian mob and the Russian mob blow up this uh, yacht that he rents to try to get his family away from the uh, the danger that's going on. And it's just it's a, a moment that sends the guy over the edge and he kind of goes breaking bad and and just this average guy going after the Russian mob, killing people. And it's as funny and crazy and over the top as you think. So that moment was shocking. Then to make it even more shocking, at the end of issue three, he goes home after he's taken out most of the Russian mob and his family just shows up, just pops up at the house, cliffhanger, 
his family's back. They didn't die after all. It was so shocking after everything this guy's gone through uh, to have that happen. But ultimately, if you're checking it out there uh, on YouTube, you'll see my pick. I already mentioned it. Nathan dies, or at least we think he does, in Radiant Black. The main character, four issues in, they kill him, and his friend gets the powers. It it was so shocking. Rug pulled out from under. Rocky and I even went back and did a, a spotlight and covered all the issues up to that moment because we were like, should we have seen this coming? That's how impactful it was. That's my pick. Uh, Nathan in issue four of Radiant Black having build, a building collapse on top of him. So absolutely fantastic. Uh, what about you, Rocky? What's your uh, what's your pick? Well, uh, again, uh, excellent, excellent rundown of all those uh, all those moments, uh, Jace. Uh, I got to go with uh, I'm a, I'm a DC guy. I went with Nightwing, Nightwing issue eighty one, the cliffhanger right on the final page that uh, Dick Grayson has a sister, uh, Melinda Zuko, who is the mayor of Bloodhaven. It, you know, frankly, uh, nobody really saw it coming. It was out of the blue. I I, I think it's uh, I think it adds a lot to uh, the own myth. It adds a lot to the mythology of Dick Grayson as opposed to Batman for a change. I think it really moves the character forward. I think it's I think it's got a lot of potential. Uh, you you mentioned before how reading Nightwing, you know, I mean t- Tom Taylor is so good at those character moments, those emotional moments that can tug at the heartstrings. Tom Taylor is really good at bringing back the hope and the and the fun of the DC universe in so many ways. And and Tom Taylor at times may be criticized for doing too much fan service but you know in a day and age where i don't think we get enough of it if i got to get too much from tom taylor i'm more than happy with that and i think that's why nightwing has been such a successful title in 2021 and moving forward here into 2022 and that that cliffhanger with melinda zuko i think it's going to pay a lot of dividends down the road so that definitely is my pick for 2021 yeah i think we talked about that on the latest uh the latest issue when we covered it and I was saying, man, I'm ready for them to, to really get back to that idea uh, because they've been doing so many other cool things. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen Melinda Zuko. So uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm curious. Good pick. I'm curious. To, yeah. Just have them go back to, uh, to her as a character. Uh, okay. Next up. So this one is, is, and I think maybe I'm going to get rid of this one next year because I don't, I don't know that it works that well, but anyway, it's um it's best storyline. So a storyline that, uh, concluded in a comic that was released in 2020, uh, 2021. Um, but it can be problematic because all these books don't necessarily have storylines or if they do, uh, you know, they're not necessarily named. It's more a thing that Marvel and DC do. And it used to, when if they first started doing it and you'd get, you know, event within a comic sort of thing. It, yeah. But anyway, uh, that's the category. Uh, what's your pick, Rock? My pick was uh, Justice League Last Ride. And I got to admit, I went on instinct on this. I'm pretty sure it started and ended in 2021 because you and it I did. reviewed yep. every single issue and we started yep. redo- reviewing DC Comics. So uh, I thought it was uh, it wasn't just an easy pick for me. It was uh, it's kind of a no brainer. It's it's Chip Sardaski. And, you know, I know he's the guy is just amazing, whether he's whether he's doing his own independent work with Stillwater at Image or he's at Marvel doing Daredevil and Devil's Reign. And now, of course, he's Chip Sardaski's new writer on Batman. And he, he got his he's got he got his feet wet with uh, with DC, with uh, with uh, Batman Urban Legends, with uh, the Cheerdrops tale, uh, with uh, good Jason Todd uh, tale. And then uh, he was doing Justice League last right here. This is a great story. It's his version of it's 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 a Justice League story and it's a Justice League story that starts off. I mean, it has it has it has great cliffhangers. Seemingly, we we 
Aquaman's dead. Uh, Martian Manhunter's dead. We we think at times that like Green Lantern has even been dead. It's a dark side story with a dark side defeated, and or it's it's it shows Chip Sardaski's understanding of the relationship between the, the Trinity, particularly uh, Superman and Batman, and, and the breakdown of their relationship following the loss of one of their team members. So it's got character, and it's got ridiculous action. I mean, and Lobo, I mean, they're trying to protect Lobo, of all people, on a po- on a burnt-out apocalypse. And it's just got a- amazing art by, uh, uh, um, I always say the name wrong, Mendoza, what is it? Mendo. Yeah, Miguel. Yeah, Miguel Mendoca. I think. Mendo Mendoca. Fantastic art. I mean, this is just. This was just a fantastic. It was an adrenaline rush of a series, but the adrenaline at times would would pull you back with great character moments, and and then all of a sudden you got super action again from Cyborg Superman to Mongol to <laughs> the Dark Side to uh, a powered up Omega powered Dark Side combined with Green Lantern and. Martian Manhunter. Oh, I don't even want to ruin it, guys. Pick this up, and it's it's a done in one tale. You don't need you don't need to know anything about the DC universe going into this. It's six issues. It's just done one, and so much fun. Yeah, and in the interest of full disclosure, I did buy the best page available for that series. So <laughs> sorry, everybody. Uh, yeah. But yeah, hopefully, it'll be on its way to me soon. I uh, think issue three, page seventeen. <laughs> um, so yeah, can't wait, can't wait to get my hands on it. Cost me a pretty penny, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth it. Uh, all right. So I have a few as, as always, I have a few, uh, to go with here and it's, again, it's just, it's so tough to choose because there are so many really, really good books that are coming out right now. So I thought about, uh, Fantastic Four written by Dan Slott, various artists, uh, on, on the title. Uh, but there's this storyline where, uh, R.B. Silva is the one that actually drew this particular storyline. There's this storyline where right before Doom's ring, Doom finds out that Johnny Storm slept with Victorious, and it, <laughs> Doom ends up turning Johnny's powers all the way up to 11. So if you've been reading Fantastic Four right now or reading Reckoning War and you're wondering why does, why does Johnny not have the ability to, to turn off? He's constantly in Nova form. It's because he slept with Dr. Doom's fiance, and it's just wild and fun and crazy. And so uh, I thought about choosing that. Captain Marvel uh, from Kelly uh, Thompson, as I said, uh, Jacopi Kamini did the art on this particular issue. She's trying to prevent the future timeline that she just got back from, from coming to pass. She thinks she needs magic to do that. So she goes to various magic wielders in the Marvel universe and tries to get them to train her from Dr. Strange to Enchantress to uh, anybody you can think of. And it, uh, Damon Hellstrom, for example, and it works out just about as well as you, you think it will knowing Carol, uh, and she gets this cool black costume for the duration. So that was really fantastic. Nightwing, as Rocky has talked about, I won't elaborate too much more. It's, it's so filled with hope. So the leaping into the light arc that kicked it off from uh, Tom Taylor was considered the Korvac uh, saga where Christopher Cantwell, art by Kafu, they're tearing Tony Stark down to build him back up. It, it goes back to such a classic feel of who Tony Stark was in my favorite era of the character from about issue 170 to about 250. Um, it, it puts aside kind of the, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but the way Robert Downey Jr. portrays him as kind of this snarky, humorous, funny version of Tony Stark that everybody thinks that's how Tony Stark is in the comics because that's the way he's been written for the last 15 years. But that's not how he was before that portrayal from RDJ. And uh, it, it doesn't bother me. I don't begrudge it. Um, because I, I was one of the people that said, I don't think that's going to work, the casting, but then admitted that it worked on a, a, a very surprising level to me. 
but it was a different version, but then that became the default version. So what I love about what Christopher Cantwell's doing is he's taking us back to the roots of who Tony Stark was, much more serious character. Also, the Spider-Woman Back to Basics that started with Spider-Woman issue number 11 from Carla Pacheco and Pere Perez on art, really doing exactly what the title says, going back to basics. She gets back in her classic costume. The supporting cast is trimmed down seemingly, but then blows back up again. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Also, Suicide Squad, for the reasons Rocky talked about earlier, the give peace a chance. I didn't expect that to work with Peacemaker as the leader, and it has exceeded all expectations. But ultimately, I went with uh, Amazing Spider-Man Beyond. And the reason that I went with this is I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, and I was buying Spider-Man because I you know, have a, almost a complete run of Amazing Spider-Man. I wanted to keep it going, but it had become such a chore the thing about Spider-Man is, is he's a happy character. It should celebrate the joy of comics. And Nick Spencer's run had gotten to be such a slog and it was depressing. And it, it was focusing on all the guilt and all the pain and all the trauma that Peter had been through in his life, rather than focusing on the fun aspect of here's this kid who has these powers. And so uh, it's fun again with this beyond story. And and the other thing that's interesting is they're doing like a, a TV writer's room style where you have all these writers that are contributing and then one particular one will write the script. So uh, we have Patrick Gleason, Zeb Wells, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziegler, Kelly Thompson, all of them as writers. And then, you know, as I said, particular issue will be scripted by a particular writer, but they're all putting all their, um, their work into it. It's coming out weekly. There's a ton of artists uh, that are all fantastic. And it, just the fact that it has been such a palate cleanser and removed that memory of <laughs> Nick Spencer's, Spider-Man and how just depressing it had gotten. So uh, for that reason, I, I picked Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, okay, up next is Best Sleeper or Surprise Hit. So this is a comic that first appeared in 2021. Uh, where you feel like we feel like either not enough people have been reading it, or it surprised us how much it became a hit. How many people? talked about it. So I thought about doing Hellblazer Rise and Fall, which is written by Tom Taylor with art by Derek Robertson. Deep Beyond, which is written by Mirka Andolfo. Um, and it's such a, a fantastic story. And this is one I really want more people to read. So it finished up this year uh, with issue 12, but it was a story that started kind of small in scope and it got so big and huge and it started bringing in all these ideas and every issue surprised me with, with how it got better. It literally got better with every issue right up till the end. Uh, the art by Andrea Bricardo is absolutely fascinating. Um, if you come away with only remembering one comic I talk about today and go and pick it up, I would want it to be deep beyond because these are a lot of Italian creators that don't necessarily have name recognition in the U.S. And I, I, people need to read that story. Uh, Miles to Go, I already talked about Stephen Molnar on art and uh, – uh, by B. Clay Moore, so I won't belabor that one. Uh, but ultimately, it looks like Rocky and I have the same pick. I picked Nice House on the Lake. Now, it's not like James Tynan is not already a known guy. Um, and I heard a lot of creators talking about this book before it was released, saying how good it was. So that was even raising my level of expectation more. And then I read it. And I don't know that there is any level of expectation I could have had that prepared me for how amazing this book is. Um, I encourage you to go listen to our, our latest uh, DC Spotlight where we talk about the return of it with issue seven. But from the writing and the characterization from James Tynan and the initial concept to the line work from Alvaro Martinez Bueno and the colors by Jordi Belair, this book blew up, deservedly so. 
everybody should be reading it. It's fascinating. It's compelling. It's mysterious. And I can't wait to see where it goes uh, from here. Um, two more quick uh, uh, mentions. Uh, Siphon from uh, Top Cow, I thought was a three-issue mini that was very fast-paced and well done. Um, and I, I, again, it's one, I, I talked to the creators, I had them on the show, um, I had high expectations, and it did uh, exceed those expectations as well. And the art uh, was absolutely spectacular from um, from Jeff Edwards. Uh, it was written by Patrick Meany and Mohsen Ashraf. So I do uh, recommend that. And then uh, Olivia Cortero Briggs did uh, a series for uh, Aftershock called Silver City. And this is kind of fun. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the NBA Hall of Famer, even tweeted about it the other day, how spectacular Silver City is. Uh, this idea that even though once you die and you go to the afterlife, you still have to get a job, you still have to find an apartment, you still have to do whatever. The art is super creepy and and uh, its own thing from Luca uh, Merrily. So I do uh, recommend that as well. But uh, what are your thoughts on Nice House? I guess you picked that as well, Rocky. Yeah, well, not much to add. I mean, what, what uh, James Tiny and I mean, Twenty twenty one was his year. I mean, the guy just, you know, the the concept of nice house on the lake. The idea that you know, imagine the world has ended, but you're one of the lucky ten chosen to live in a nice house by the lake. You can get whatever you want. Sky's the limit. You just have to ask for it. You'll get it. You think to yourself, how can that be a horror story? Because okay, yeah, it's the end of the world, but it kind of has kind of a nice concept in it. You get whatever you want. It, you, you're going to survive and. How do you turn something where you're in a nice house on the lake, beautiful setting, you get whatever you want. How do you incorporate a horror element into that? And boy, does James Tiny in the fourth figure out how to do it. And it is, in fact, there is a horrifying aspect to the story that that is all done through character work, not plot work, not the plot. It's the character work that creates the horror. It just goes to show you, man, the darkest aspects of humanity can always continue to be explored. It just takes the right writer to come along and remind us of the darkest aspects of our nature. And James Tiny the fourth, man, he really pulls it off and all through an alien by the name of Walter. So guys, if you haven't checked out Nice House on the Lake, you can still pick it up. You can pick it up in trade and uh, by all means do it. it. There's a little bit of a reset that started with issue seven that just came out this past month. Definitely check it out. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's it's so good because you're right. I mean, we don't see the world fall apart. We're just, we, we feel the impact of it through what happens in that, you know, like you said, the character work, the, the reaction, like how they're relating to it. And so I think, yeah, it works on, uh, it works on all those levels. So, uh, okay. Up next we have uh, best ongoing comic. So this is a, a comic that doesn't necessarily have to have started in, uh, in 2021 uh, could have started before, but it also could have started in 2021. So what do you have for best ongoing Rocky? Well, I, I've got, I, I got two. Uh, it looks like you and I both uh, have, have uh, maybe cheated a little bit. We've got ties and I picked two. I yeah. picked Firepower. So with, uh, she's only one. Yeah. Firepower by Robert Kirkman. I, I, I feel, I always feel guilty. Not, I've never reviewed, I've never formally reviewed Firepower on my YouTube channel and I really should. But Firepower is just so much fun. The Firepower, any, it, guys, this is the future Invincible. This is the martial arts version of Invincible. Great, fa- uh, it's it's a character-driven pl- uh, ongoing story about martial artists, artists and, and villains and family. And in fact, this is such a fun comic to read. 
and Robert Kirkman is always throwing curveballs at you. And it's it's definitely worth checking out. And it's one of those things where I have to admit, because I've always been beholden a little bit more to the big two in D.C., I have to fully admit I'm 100% guilty of not giving the indies enough of my voice. And I bloody well should. And that, that should have been one of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> but but in fact, as firepower deserves it. Uh, I have been giving more voice to my, my tie, and that is The Flash, because I review DC, of course, with you. You and I have both been singing the praises of Jeremy Adams on The Flash. I've been loving The Flash. I give it, I, 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 what, what, what I think embodies arguably the best of image with firepower under appropriately Robert Kirkman. He is, he is fantastic. Jeremy Adams is bringing to DC what DC needs to be reminded about. Tom Taylor does it a little bit with Nightwing, but Jeremy Adams brings the passion and the hope and the love of the past and the continuity of DC Comics. He brings that into the flash. Um, you were uh, nice enough to allow me to join you in your interview of Jeremy Adams. I, and I thank you for that. I just absolutely, I thoroughly love that. His Jeremy Adams passion as a creator, as a writer came across the screen. DC, give this guy more work. What he brought to the flash is just so much fun dealing with family and hope and, and just heroism and just a, a really good, fun read. And man, it's just, you know, flash embodies the best of DC as firepower. And I think embodies some of the best of image. Ah, you know, uh, I didn't real. I didn't even know that you read Firepower. I'm a big fan of that series as well. And you're right. Yeah. I can't believe that we haven't <laughs> we haven't covered that. Yeah. Uh, that's so yeah. That's so interesting to me. So uh, yeah, good pick. And yeah, you can't go wrong with Flash either. Uh, so yeah, I, I have a tie as well. I just couldn't choose. Such a tough category. There's so many great books out there. Uh, I thought about picking Iron Man, the Korvac saga, all that things I was talking about re- uh, just a minute ago about tearing Tony Stark down to build him back up daredevil by chip Sardarsky art by Marco Cicchetto, uh, Mauricio Menez on colors. That's another one where I, I've never cared more about daredevil than I do right now. And I I've never been more a fan of chip Sardarsky than I am right now. I had a real, I, I tried sex criminals. Didn't like it. I tried his run on Howard the duck. Didn't like it. Um, I'm like, he's just not a character, a creator whose work I like apparently, but both you and uh, Trevor from Dark Knight Nation, like you got to read Daredevil. You got to read Daredevil. It's really, really good. I gave it a try. Uh, and I, I would consider myself a Chip Zdarsky fan now. Uh, I love what he did on Justice League Last Ride. Love what he's doing on Stillwater. But love mostly what he's doing on Daredevil. Uh, like I said, I care more about the character than I ever have. And what's so interesting is what that he goes back and treads some ground that you say, well, maybe this has been done before. We've seen Daredevil in jail before. We've seen Daredevil, you know, as a criminal before. Uh, but he brings such emotionality and a different take to it and different scope that it works on, on a lot of those levels. I also think what James Tynan is doing on the Joker, just the fact that I'm buying and reading this book, you know, I had said, oh, my God, there's going to be an ongoing Joker title. The last thing I want is more Joker. I'm not a fan. I'm Jokered out. Uh, but what's so interesting is Tynan has kind of pulled the wool over some fans' eyes by saying, hey, I'm going to call this a Joker book, but guess what? It's not about the Joker at all. It's about Jim Gordon. It's about the effect that Joker has had on other people's lives. That's a fascinating take, and it's just done so, so well um, by Tynan with uh, the great art by uh, Guillaume March and, and wonderful colors by Arif Prianto. So that has been – so fun uh, seeing uh, the female version of Bane or Bane's daughter. Vengeance has been great. Uh, yeah, I'm just a sucker for a great Jim Gordon story. So I put that on my list uh, as well. But ultimately, I went with Crossover and Spider-Woman as a tie. So Crossover, as I mentioned, Donnie Cates, 
Uh, Jeff Shaw is the, the artist. And then Spider-Woman from Carla Pacheco, Pere Perez on art, uh, line work, Frank Duramata on colors. Um, so crossover, much like uh, Deep Beyond, every issue ups the ante. Every issue, you learn something else that's crazy. Every issue is another cliffhanger. We end on a cliffhanger with Donnie Kate showing up in the comic. The next issue, the cliffhanger is Negan's there. He's the one that's been killing all these um, all these artists. Chip Zdarsky spooning his real uh, life persona of Steve Murray. Like these are the moments in crossover that just make it so much fun. It's so clear. You know, I'm not a huge fan of everything Donnie Cates does. It's over the top stuff at Marvel, uh, turning Punisher into cosmic ghost Rider, turning Thanos into a baby, his Thor stuff. I've never been a fan of Thor. A lot of it's over the top and, and very fanboy in a way of, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if, um, and for a long time reader, it just doesn't necessarily resonate with me. But what? But that's not to say that the stuff's not great, and the people he's got a rabid fan base, and and people are really enjoying it, and that's fine. I don't begrudge them that. It just it's not my particular cup of tea. But I've met Donnie on numerous occasions, and what comes across in this title of crossover is how much Donnie absolutely loves comics and has a passion for comics. He's one of us. He's a fan. He likes cool shit. He likes uh, so the name of his and Ryan Segman's imprint is KLC. Kids love chains, you know, like Spawn, like chains, that kind of thing. That sums up Donnie right there, right? I mean, the guy's fantastic. The Jeff Shaw art is wonderful. The fact that we get to see Mad Men, uh, uh, the Michael uh, Alred creation in here, we get to see uh, uh, the the people from Powers that Brian Michael Bendis created. We get to see Negan. Um, I don't want to spoil the last issue, but uh, I'll just say that if you don't like Robert Kirkman, you'll love the you'll love issue twelve of Crossover, written by Kirkman himself. That portion of the book, uh, absolutely amazing. And as far as Spider Woman goes, uh, I encourage you all to go listen to my uh, interview I did a few months ago with Carla Pacheco. We cover what makes Spider Woman so amazing. Suffice it to say, what I'll say here is that it's such the a perfect blend of a humanistic take on Jess the Mess, Jessica Drew. Uh, that makes her more relatable than she's ever been, but it's balanced out with humor and action perfectly. And it's, it's everything a comic should be. It's fun. It's fun, but there are consequences and there are stakes and you do feel the peril that Jess is in at times. And the art by Pere Perez is next level. So uh, yeah, couldn't pick, had to go with two. Uh, and those are my two. So uh, all right, let's move on to the next category. It's a best graphic novel. So this is either an original graphic novel or uh, a collection. Um, and there's a, you know, a lot of great choices because you could go just with the trade, but I tend to try to pick something that's a little more special. It's not just a collection of, uh, of single issues. So I had two things that I thought about here. Uh, I thought about going with um, Noctera which is, was the special edition that Tony Daniel and uh, Scott Snyder kicked off in, at the uh, middle of 2020, but it didn't arrive till 2021 because of um, shipping issues and pandemic and whatnot. So it, it is the, the first issue of Noctera, but it's also so much more than that. There's all kinds of back matter and development stuff and how they all came up with this. Uh, and it's a gorgeous package, really beautiful, embossed cover. The, the Kickstarter did very, very well. Uh, and it was, it was limited and it's just, it's something I'm proud to have on my bookshelf. Um, but also the unseen Jack Katz. So for those that aren't familiar with Jack Katz, he's a golden age artist. Uh, I can't believe his name wasn't bigger. Um, and part of that has to do with kind of the path that he took. It didn't necessarily, 
uh, always conformed to what people wanted him to do and kind of did his own thing. Um, he lives in the Bay Area in California, and Liam Sharp is actually a friend of his, the, the current uh, artist who's working, made his name in the uh, 90s with Deathhead and then Hulk and then made a comeback after leaving comics, not by choice necessarily, but made a comeback with Wonder Woman uh, in Rebirth and whatnot and, and just a super nice guy. Well, he knows Jack and he knows that Jack had all this unpublished work and he knows Jack's on a, a limited budget uh, that makes life difficult at times. And so he decided he was going to do a Kickstarter for Jack in Jack's name, collecting a lot of this unpublished work, uh, including some full issues. Uh, and that's exactly what he did. And it's it's absolutely out, outstanding, partly because it raised so much money. It, it raised money, amount of money that's life changing for Jack Katz. So, you know, he's in his uh, late 80s, early 90s. And this is enough money that he's going to be able to not have to worry about money probably for the rest of his life, which is just fantastic. And on top of that, it's work that needs to be seen. I mean, this guy's line work and pencil work is so fine and so detailed and so amazing. And it's just a celebration of this creator that, uh, again, more people should have known about his work, more people should uh, be aware of it. And the fact that it celebrates that and there's like a full uh, issue in here uh, of art that never was seen that Jack created uh, for a story that, that he wrote. It's just fantastic. Um, and every time I look at it, I'm stunned by the quality of the work. Uh, but it also makes me feel good knowing that, you know, I contributed to help, uh, you know, ease the worries of, of this fantastic Golden Age artist. So if you didn't grab it, I'm sorry, maybe you can find a copy on eBay. But uh, same, I mean, same thing for Noctera. Maybe you can find a copy on eBay, but uh, both are fantastic. Highly recommended. Well, uh, what about your pick, Rocky? Well, first I want to say that uh, I credit you. I, 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 I have no excuse. I wasn't aware of Jack Katz. I, uh, when, when, when you told me that was, I had to Google that and I Googled it and I looked at the pictures and his art and the guy clearly look is, is amazing. I'm going to be looking for the unseen Jack Katz. I'll be looking for that when I attend the uh, Toronto Expo uh, later this, this month with, uh, uh, Trevor Lankevich, uh, Dark Knight Nation, our, our mutual friend, and uh, I'll be uh, I'll see if I can find a copy at a at the Toronto Comic Con there. But uh, in any event, uh, my pick was uh, was was uh, Wonder Woman Dead Earth. This is a you know it was published. This came out in 2020, but it was the the full compilation, the the collection of all the issues by Dwayne Warren Johnson or pardon me, Daniel Warren Johnson came out in 2021, and you know. It's not too often. I, I, I routinely criticize Wonder Woman, uh, which is a topic for another day. I've always thought that Wonder Woman has been, I think, notoriously a difficult uh, character for writers to to get a really good firm handle on it. Or to be more blunt, rarely does uh, uh, an approach to Wonder Woman actually impress me. Very few writers have written a Wonder Woman story that I frankly like or am impressed by. And But Daniel Warren Johnson really... With his art, with his, the, he he crafted a story here where you know this is not a Wonder Woman who <laughs> this this Wonder Woman has ridiculous amount of flaws, imperfections, and in fact it's her major flaw that leads to the destruction of the very planet which she swore to protect, and that leads that underscores the very foundation of the story itself. And if you've ever wondered who would win in a battle between Wonder Woman and Superman, by far the greatest the greatest battle between Superman and Wonder Woman. If you want to see a visceral, violent battle between Wonder Woman and Superman, check out, it's in issue three of this series, but pick up pick up the entire series in a compilation. It's well worth it. But it ends on a high note, as you would expect a Wonder Woman story to do. It's well written, character driven, 
wonderful uh, homage to the mythology, but told through the lens of Daniel Warren Johnson. And I respect, I respect what he did tremendously. And I, I, I highly recommend people give it, give it a, check it out. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always heard really good things about that series. Uh, and I've, I keep saying I'm going to read it and I never have. Uh, I, I definitely need to correct that. I think so. Uh, all right. Up next, we have um, probably one of my favorite categories, but one that's always the toughest. And again, it's why I need to keep a list. It's hard to go back and look at literally thousands of covers to remember my best or favorite cover from 2021. So I have a few to uh, to choose from here, but uh, that's our next category. Rocky, what'd you pick? Well, I picked, uh, you know, uh, I picked Boss Logic's cover to uh, Endless uh, Black Adam, Endless Winter Special number one. And look, there are a ridiculous amount of absolutely incredible covers. This is one of those things where I would never engage in a long debate or argument with anybody about best cover because let's face it, art is subjective. But but I, I will say this. The reason why I really like this is this is this Boss Logic cover. And by the way, I, I separated the, the words Boss Logic. Apparently, it's all one word. Uh, <laughs> that's my bad on, on, if those watch you on YouTube. But in any event, I, I like this. This, is, this was – it almost – there's not a lot of detail in this. This is almost the backgrounds here are all white. And this is just black Adam coming down in the snow. It's, it almost seems like it's just pencil. There's not a lot of, it doesn't even seem like it's really inked all that much. It's just, it, there's something so subtle and simple and gorgeous about this cover. I think it's underrated. I think it's, uh, I, I think for speculators, I do think that this cover is going to take off in value once the Black Adam, once the Black Adam movie hits. I think this is a cover to look out for. Again, Black Adam Endless Winter Special number one. It's the uh, cover B cover. It's absolutely gorgeous. I love it. And the reason why, and I, I know what your your pick is, and you'll mention that, but there's a lot of other very fantastic, wonderful cover artists out there. But I do find that they, they get a little... Uh, um, I think this Boss Logic one is, I think it's a little bit more unique in in my view. I, I think it's it's not, uh, you know, certain there are certain well-known cover artists that are fantastic, but they're very common and all the covers kind of look the same, the same style. This one, this one just seemed decidedly different. And and plus, I think it's a sleeper hit of a of a best cover as well. I don't think enough people are aware of this cover. Plus, it's harder to come by. And it's also not a ratio variant, which I think is a cheat. It's my pet peeve. I, 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 I do not. I'm not a fan. I think I think the big two are ripping people off by making a, a, a if you're going to create a great cover and you're going to make it a one in 10 ratio or one in 25. Hey, you have an obligation to the fans. Put your best work, make your best, your best cover should be available to everybody for cover price. That's $3.99. Uh, you know, in any event, I don't, I'm not on a soapbox here, but anyways, I love boss logic and, um, yeah. And I know there's lots and yeah, take it away. Tell me yours. Yeah. I, I, so I agree with your, your assessment. Like it should be on just a regular, even a one in 10 or a one in 25. But when you start talking one in hundred, one in two fifty, one in 500, one in a thousand, that's when it yeah. really, it's like, I just can't afford that. That's yeah. not right. Uh, I agree. So you actually put up the regular cover for my pick. Oh, and I it's actually a, a variant, but all, all good. Let me. Let me it, get it's awesome, though. Variant. I thought it looks so good. Yeah. It it looks so good. I thought yeah. it was the right one. Yeah. So uh, there are a few that I thought about. Uh, Black Widow number five. And again, you guys are going to have to go and pick look these up yourselves because we didn't pull images for all of them. But Adam Hughes, the regular covers, and Adam Hughes is what 
Rocky has up for my pick there, but it, all his covers for Black Widow are fantastic. So five, she's literally straddling two buildings. These um, these vertical words, neon signs. One says Black, one says Widow, and they're on opposite sides of the street on opposite buildings. But she's straddling the two of them, looking down on, at the city. It's fantastic. Uh, also, the Art Germ Inferno One um, Mystique cover. Art Germ is a fantastic artist. His women are always really beautiful. Uh, Mystique usually comes across looking evil and and not beautiful, so I, I liked that version of her. Uh, a couple of Radiant Black ones. The one that kind of celebrated the the fact that a lot of the creators involved in Radiant Black uh, came from Power Rangers and have a love of of that style of story. There's a one in fifty where Radiant Black is just holding the Radiant Black helmet. I thought was uh, was really fantastic. And then there's also um, a one in twenty five that I thought was, uh, was done really, really well also. Uh, and there's a David, like almost every one of those covers for, uh, for Radiant Black. But the one in 25 is, is this David Finch version. There's a foil version of it as well. A David Finch, very classic, strong, muscular version of Radiant Black, which I thought was great. Uh, there's a Jen Bartell Spider-Woman. It's, it's just uh, the cover B. Uh, and Jen Bartell, very into fashion. And uh, it's this reddish cover. And uh, Jessica Drew is wearing all red, and she's wearing this this red button-down shirt with these black and yellow stripes on it. And she's got her back to the to the viewer, and then she's turning back, looking over her shoulder. Also, very very beautiful, very uh, fashion uh, conscious Jen Bartel. Uh, this one just snuck in on December twenty eighth. It just snuck it in. Uh, another art germ one. Ice has been a fascinating character in the Human Target series from Tom King and Greg uh, Smallwood with fantastic interior art, but just a beautiful rendition of Ice on the cover of, uh, of issue number three. Uh, another art germ, I got three art germs on here. Uh, Trial of Magneto, the Scarlet Witch cover. Um, again, just super beautiful version of Scarlet Witch. The magic as she's wielding it, it's swirling around her, her cape. All of it works really, really well. But ultimately, I went with Black Widow number nine, uh, which Rocky has the regular cover, but there's a variant um, by Mark Brooks. So that particular month, there was a bunch of variants that were inspired by uh, by Captain America. And there's one where Natasha is wearing this version of Captain America's costume, but it's it's black and white and orange as opposed to red, white, and blue. Uh, and she's turning around, flinging the shield up toward the um, the viewer on the ground. It says Black Widow, and there's a bunch of stars, as you would expect for you know Captain America. But there's also a hammer and a sickle, uh, as you would expect for you know the former Soviet Union that uh, that created uh, Natasha. So it's just a fantastic cover. I'm a huge yeah, Rocky's got it there. Uh, it, I'm a huge Mark Brooks fan. Just seeing this different version of Natasha, you know, she's such a in her early days was such a um, kind of an icon of, of the cold war of what the Soviet union was. And so to see that juxtaposed against the hero that most represents the United States and most people's opinion, Captain America, it's just a fascinating different version. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. So that's my, that's my cover uh, favorite cover of 2021. So very good choice. Uh, all right. And here's another one that was really, really tough. I just kept adding more artists and more artists and more artists, but it's best artist for 2021. I'll give a rundown really quickly. We don't necessarily need to get into uh, all of the, the, the people that we, uh, that 
uh, I considered, but Ivan Harris uh, for generations for his work on Batman Superman. Not only was it fantastic interiors and storytelling on Batman Superman, but the fact that the uh, the way that the story was constructed by Gene Nguyen Yang as it was separated with film strip and the, the borders of the panels were film strips was just really inspired. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Miguel Mendoca uh, for Justice League Glass Ride. I already mentioned I spent a pretty penny on a on a uh, original piece of art from that series. So emotional, so fun, and not an artist enough people know. Bruno Redondo's gotten tons of credit and attention for his work on Nightwing. Uh, so that's all very much well-deserved. Uh, Tony Daniel on Noctera. I've talked about how fantastic the story is. Uh, and Scott Snyder, again, doing some of the best work of his career. But I think it's the best work Tony Daniel has ever done creating this world and this version, these shadow-like uh, infected with darkness versions of humans and animals and whatnot. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I mentioned how much Miko Suyan and Jason Badawer added to Joker Harley, Criminal Insanity. Their work was transcendent. I think uh, I think I gave them the, the, the call last. J.H. Uh, Williams on Echo Lands. Uh, spoiler alert, there's a J.H. Williams conversation interview coming on Monday. Had a fantastic time talking to him. We almost didn't want to stop talking. We we're having so much fun. And he talks a lot in the interview about the challenges of going with uh, landscape as, a por- as opposed to portrait. He says it's almost muscle memory that he just his mind automatically reads the script and lays it out. That way, the challenges of doing it with that orientation turned 90 degrees, but the rewards of it and how fantastic it's been and how transcendent that artwork in that series has been. And then Elena Casagrande best uh, new series of 2021 was Black Widow. Her artwork has a lot to do with it. She has leveled up in terms of skill so much. It's absolutely fantastic. Can't say enough about how kinetic her fight scenes are, her action scenes are, but how soft and emotional the character moments are. It's a great balance. But ultimately, I went with Francis Manipole for clear. He's handling not only the line work, but also the colors. Um, uh, You know, I talked about the juxtaposition of new and old, old being the, you know, the crime noir hard-boiled detective with new technology. That aesthetic is married brilliantly by Francis Manipole. The colors evoke the perfect uh, mood and tone and emotionality in the story. And the fact that he gets to cut loose at times based on the, the way this, the world is skinned in whatever way any particular person wants to view the world, whether it be Old West or Disney or science fiction or whatever it is, he does get to cut loose at times, and it's fun to see. So uh, that was actually a pretty easy choice, even though I had a lot of ultra, uh, alternate mention or honorable mentions because so many well-deserving. But uh, I kind of knew I was going to go with Francis all along on that one. So uh, how about you, Rocky? What do you? What's your pick? Uh, well, before I say my pick, I just want to give a shout-out to Francis Manipal, your pick, because I think uh, – the comic book speculators side of me, I don't think enough attention has been given to his, he, he was, he did the backup, he did the cover B's for the Robin series and he did each individual, those reading Robin, uh, Joshua Williamson's Robin series know that, that the, the first essentially whatever 10 issues consists of a tournament and in each individual issue from issue one through issue whatever 10 or 12, there there's one soul, there's one individual character drawn in cover B by Francis Manipal, and it's they're absolutely gorgeous covers. And if you can acquire all 12 of those, I think in the future, those are speculators. It's absolutely gorgeous. So kudos to Francis Manipal. Absolutely fantastic, because he could have easily been a, one of the best cover artists in, in, the, in the choice as well. 
Uh, my, my pick is Daniel Semper for Best Artist of 2021. He impressed us with Future State, even though we, you and I will have comments about Future State in general later on in this particular broadcast. We will, in, the, the fact of the matter is, is that there were some standouts artistically in Future State and Daniel Semper's work on Aquaman uh, was one of them. Uh, Brandon Thomas was the writer. Uh, Daniel Semper is the artist, fantastic artist. He's also done amazing work with uh, action comics on Superman. Daniel Simper is the go-to artist for Dark Crisis coming into the, going into the summer, working with Joshua Williamson and jo- and Daniel Semper. In the interview, which again, you were nice enough to let me join you on. I was so happy to, to be in that interview with Daniel Semper and Brandon Thomas. Dan- uh, Daniel Semper talked about it, a big event that he was a big uh, event that he was dealing with with DC. He couldn't say what it was. We now know... Um, that what he was referring to in your in your interview with him was that it's in fact a dark crisis, and DC couldn't have picked a better artist for us. You got to you got to put an A list artist on your big crisis events, especially if you're DC, because whether you like crises or not, crisis events are big name. It's for DC. Daniel Semper is the go to guy, and I think he's earned it. And I think is amazing, and absolutely, uh, I think that he, he's certainly going to be a, a contender I would I would imagine for best artist in 2022 when we do this next year. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious to see his take uh, on Dark Crisis. All the images we've seen so far have been stunning. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, okay, next uh, we have best cover artist. So, um, yeah, basically it's as simple as that. Who's your favorite uh, cover artist for 2021? My my favorite co- cover artist is one that I don't think get, gets enough attention, and that is uh, Weathered. Uh, and I apologize, I always butcher names, but uh, Weathered Deladera, the cover artist and the artist for Something Is Killing the Children. I don't think enough people talk about her. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Something Is Killing the Children has been probably the biggest success in comic books in the deck in the last ten years. Huge success! It is uh, put James Tiny on the map. I think. I think it, this thing is. It's a fantastic series. This series would not be successful. You can talk about James Tiny all you want, and I love James Tiny in the Force. He's a great writer. But this series would absolutely. I do not believe this series would have the impact if not for the art of Weather Deladera. Absolutely fantastic. The this is about children being killed by a monster. This is visceral. This is graphic. This is. This is horrifying. Uh, th- this is a horrifying story, and 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 she's she does all the cover art for it. And when people talk about something is killing the children, what what's incredible about her art is something is killing the children. You've got all kinds of different cover art, like alternate covers. The best, the best art, the best is it's always by Deladera. Uh, always by Deladera. She's setting the tone. She sets the mood, the tone, and the the visuals for this series and I, and she, she deserves a call out for it. And, and I think 2021, something is killing the children. It, it really came into its own in the speculator mark in the speculator market. Everyone's taught and in the speculator market. And, and I love the speculator market. It's got, it's, you know, I can put them down and I can put them up. I'm, I'm part of it. So I'm always a hypocrite when I, when I criticize them because <laughs> I'm one of them. Uh, I mean, I think those of us who collect comics, there's always a speculator side of us. She's a fantastic artist, and when you think of something as killing of the children, the visual that you have in your mind is Deladera, and she's one to watch. And frankly, her a cover art always stands out, and there's something about it that I think just it always seems to be unique. She seems to have unique visuals 
every single time. You know, it's not like, no offense to Art Germ, for example, but Art Germ always has the same kind of looking faces, the same kind of looking particular type and feel to the art. Again, gorgeous, but kind of like the same. There's a sameness to every image. I don't think that's the same with Della Dera. Uh, while she has the same sort of maybe uh, artistic, uh, um, uh, you can tell it's a Della Dera art, it's what she brings to the page, how she approaches it, what she draws, the images, the imagination. It just really cries out for recognition. And uh, I don't think, I don't really see her being on best cover arts, art artists on a lot of these categories. And she, she should be. And so that's why I put her there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think that, yeah, she's definitely very well deserving. So uh, I had a few that I thought about here. And actually what's interesting is I, I don't actually have Art Germ, even though I had three of uh, his covers on my favorite, uh, best covers of 2021. But for exactly that reason you said, um, yeah, his his stuff is gorgeous and beautiful. But yeah, it's like we've seen it at this point. Uh, but obviously, Alex Ross is somebody who's been doing fantastic work for decades. Uh, and so I thought about him for Iron Man. Uh, Jorge Fornes did some really great work on Rorschach. thought that his covers were very impactful. Uh, Marco Cicchetto on Daredevil, same thing, uh, considered him. But ultimately, I went with Gary Frank for Geiger, as well as some some other variants that he's done. Uh, I just find that, you know, much like uh, Lee Bermejo, much like um, uh, Mark Brooks, when Gary Frank buys uh, draws a cover, that's normally the one I'm picking. It's normally the one I like. And the Geiger covers were, were just a lot of fun uh, w- w- playing with uh, different aesthetics with kind of this idea of this radioactive man who was glowing green and whatnot. So uh, it was actually a pretty easy pick for me. So, Uh, okay. Up next, we have best writer. Uh, A few people I consider Tom Taylor, fantastic work on Nightwing, seven secrets, dark ages over at Marvel's been a lot of fun. He had the Batman, the detective series, Um, Christopher Cantwell for Iron Man. I've talked at length about Iron Man. Also his blue flame series at vault's been very good. Matthew Rosenberg, uh, Rocky mentioned him earlier, doing a fantastic job on Task Force Z. He also had a grifter urban legend story, which was very good. I've talked over and over about Scott Snyder and everything that he's done with Best Jacket. Uh, I've talked about Chip Zdarsky as well, Stillwater, Daredevil, Newburn, Justice League, Last Ride. But ultimately, I had to go with Kyle Higgins for Radiant Black and Ordinary Gods. I buy just about everything this guy does, including Darkhawk, who's not a character I was a fan of. And didn't necessarily enjoy the first issue, but he hooked me by issue two, and I ended up falling in love with the series. I think it ended up being five issues. So Kyle Higgins doing fantastic work. Pay attention to what this man does because it's fantastic. He's my best writer for uh, for 2021. Uh, a very good choice. And uh, I, I would almost think it's a little bit of – he's almost like a sleeper hit of a writer too, I, I would say, because it's not something that I would readily think of. But no, he's, he's made a name for himself. Um, I, I want a little bit more, uh, probably maybe a little more obvious to some, but you know, and, and I think sometimes there's an inclination to ignore the obvious, just like Della Dera in my, my, my mind and James Tiny. And I mean, come on, you know, I, I, I just, I feel compelled, you know, I could come up with an argument for Tom King because, uh, Tom King with, between his, uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, his Rorschach, his strange adventures, his, uh, I mean, I, I've just, I've, lo- his, I loved his, Tom King's work in 2021, um, more so than, than most, and even Human Target, I think, started in 2021. But at the end of the day, uh, I have to go with James Tiny. And, and uh, 
my runners-up, Kelly Thompson and Captain Marvel, Robert Kirkman, uh, uh, Sny- uh, Scott Snyder, uh, Tom Taylor, Ram V, Chip Sardaski, all fantastic writers. But at the end of the day, the ones that I found that I want, the stories that I wanted to read first when they were on, when they came into the door, they were written by James Tynion. And uh, there was a lot of close second places, but James Tynion between Something is Killing the Children, Joker, Nice House on the Lake. Uh, we've talked about these, the Department of Truth, which I think is so timely in these conspiracy-ridden times. There's just James Tiny in the fourth man. He's he's a writer whose voice has and ideas have found the right time. You know, there's, there's that old expression: "There's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come." If you get a writer that has the right ideas at the right time, it'll resonate with the fans. And I think that's just just what James Tiny has brought to his writing in 2021. Yeah, not a bad pick at all. Obviously, I've picked him in the past. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, okay, up next, we have Best Writer Artist. So this is for a creator that both wrote and drew something. This ended up being a pretty easy pick for me as well. Uh, I thought about picking Steve Scrooge for his work on Post-Americana. Very brutal, very visceral. Uh, Liam Sharp, he did a fantastic story in Wonder Woman Black and Gold number 6. Uh, transcendent, and I'm sure Liam I'll be picking again in the future. But ultimately, it was an easy pick. I went with Cliff Chang because Catwoman Lonely City, we've very much enjoyed the first two issues of it. It's been fantastic. He's been working on it for a long time. It's exceeding all expectations, uh, and I think he's doing a fantastic job. So Cliff Chang is my pick. Yeah, I, I and I, I agree with that. I, I have to admit, I found this category difficult. You know, I, you know, part of it's my pride. I, I read comics all the time, but it it was i found it very challenging for me to i had a hard time identifying a writer who was also an artist who put something out and <laughs> i read yeah, it it's and much I, more rare than it used to be it yeah, is and much i more and rare. and i credit you for sort of i catwoman lonely city wasn't even, i didn't even thought about it i completely forgot about it and we reviewed it so shame on me shame on me and my apologies to cliff chang cuz <laughs> i really enjoy this too and and I, i've been a fan of cliff chang ever since his work on uh, the new 52 wonder woman and i wasn't a huge fan of the new 52 but wonder woman and uh, you know uh, brian azrell's uh, more aggressive stance uh, interpretation of wonder woman with cliff chang's art new 52 was always something that i sort of i enjoyed and i've been a fan of Cliff Chang since I and I'm not even that big a fan of Paper Girls when that series came out with uh, uh, Brian K. Vaughn, but I, I did I picked up the whole series solely on the on the strength of Cliff Chang's uh, uh, artistic contributions to that and and I'm so happy I, I really enjoy his take on Catwoman as you say we review it on weekly on on, on our, D, our DC weekly review and yeah it's a I agree with it's an excellent choice. Uh, okay, up next, best inker. Um, this is not always the easiest category, much like, um, writer artists, because there are fewer and fewer inkers these days, but, uh, who'd you go with? Uh, well, I, I, I feel like this is a, a cheat because once again, I, I plead ignorance because I often don't pay a lot of attention to inkers and I don't always, I mean, I, I know, I know that when we have a great art, I know that you can take a great artist and if you get the wrong inker on an, on certain art, you can ruin good art with a bad inker. And I know you can, you can compensate for a, perhaps a less than stellar artist by having a great inker do the inking. But at the same time, I just, in my mind, in terms, in terms of like the top billing, I never really think of inkers as being up there and, and that's on me. But, you know, again, uh, I need your help on this. Eber Ferreira, I mean, we, it's only been in the last year where I've been reviewing every DC comic where sort of like the inkers have been on, have sort of been on my radar. And 
you know, I with Ebra Ferreira, uh, Task Force Z, Batman Urban Legends. Yeah, he's did a, he's done a fantastic job. And uh, but I still admit to not appreciating. I'm still I still feel I'm, I've been collecting comics for for forty years, and I still feel like I'm learning about the different about just the just the in my view. I I know I don't appreciate inkers as much as I should, and that's on me. And so I admit, I feel ig- almost, I've always feel constantly a little bit ignorant about this category. And so I, I'm, I'm still learning, but uh, Eber Ferreira, uh, you know, uh, I love Task Force Z. I love Batman Urban Legends. I, I went with him and that was largely because of, uh, you know, sort of like our talks and our reviews, my reviews with you and a little bit of your sort of like your guidance in terms of what, uh, you know, who all the inkers are and what they bring to the, to the medium. And also my talks with, uh, uh, Dark Knight Nation. Yeah, it, here's the thing about inkers, right? Like it already was sort of this mysterious, not real well understood discipline, you know, for the casual comic fan. And then what's made it even more kind of mysterious over the past few years is the fact that it, it, it's a dying art. You know, so many times people are doing things digitally, so they go directly from digital pencils. Uh, you know, and I use the word pencils with quotes there because it's really not, you know, a traditional pencil. Yeah. Um, they go directly from that to color. So, you know, it used to be the artists and again, some of the inkers back in the day used to, they used to call them breakdowns and finishes instead of pencils and inks because the pencils would be very, very loose. And the inker was really doing so much of the rendering and the figure work and really making it recognizable as something, uh, you know, really detailed. Uh, and then, you know, there were, there were different ways of, of doing it, you know, layouts and thumbnails and breakdowns and all, all that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, the trend has become, uh, as comics has, has gone along, for the pencils to become super, super detailed. Um, and then there's this perception that all the inker is doing is tracing the lines. But it's so much more than that because you're adding textures, you're adding uh, line weights that move figure work forward or back, back, you know, push backgrounds further back or bring them to the foreground, that sort of thing. So there's a lot to it uh, that if you're not trained and don't understand it. Um, but again, part of the reason that that art takes longer now is because the pencil work has become so so detailed as opposed to, yeah, if it was a little more rough and maybe you have multiple inkers, you can get the pages done sooner. So it is sort of a lost discipline um, and there's fewer of them now. And a lot of it has to do with the economics. It's one fewer person you have to pay if you go straight from you know pencil or two. Uh, color artist. Um, but I did consider some others. Um, I thought that Ryu Jose's work on Immortal Hulk was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Liam Sharp over his own work on uh, Wonder Woman Black and Gold, as well as his work on Batman uh, Catwoman. I mean, he's, his art's always fantastic. Julio Ferreira brings a really interesting aesthetic to Eduardo Panseco, who he typically works with uh, his art on Suicide Squad, Urban Legends they worked on, Shazam they worked on. But ultimately I went with Eber Ferreira, just like you, for the reasons that you said. He elevates the the work uh, so well. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's hard to say that he, his work, that Eddie Barrow's work doesn't just sing under the 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 uh, inks of Eber Ferreira, so uh, I totally agree. Echo your sentiments completely. Uh, okay, up next we have best color artist. It's another one of almost the unsung uh, parts of comic art. Uh, who'd you pick here? Uh, I picked Adriana Lucas, and you know this is where you know there are so many amazing cho- uh, choices. I mean, coloring is something that 
it's probably next to, you know, I'm probably most, uh, you know, in terms of not being familiar with the true art of inking, that's, that's on me. But coloring is one of those things where over the years, if it's one thing that we comic book readers, I think, take for granted so much among so many things, it's the coloring. And uh, I just got, you know, between, I mean, there's Jordi Belair. I, she stands out. Uh, Romulo Fujito Jr. I love his work. A- A- Adriana Lucas just really caught my eye this year with Future State, her work on Aquaman. And uh, I just, it just, it just, it, 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 what I love about comics is that here I am, I'm four decades into reading comics and I can still be blown away by a, by a, by a comic book page. Like, incredible. And that's, and Adriana Lucas, I mean, uh, her, her art on Aquaman, the, 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 the work of the, the coloring of the water and the skyline and the, and space and the moon and the earth and the, and the different tones and the, and the nuances and the, and the blending of the colors and the change and the shading. You, you can't, that, that's got, that doesn't have anything to do with art. But I tell you what, it can sure as hell save some bad art. You know, you get some yeah. poor line work. You get the right colorist on some poor line work. I mean, I can think of a number of titles for DC <coughs> Black Manta, <coughs> where <laughs> arguably sometimes, you know, the right colorist can maybe cover up some pretty uh, less than stellar artwork. But in any event, Adriana Lucas... Uh, I don't. I'm not familiar with her whole career. I don't know. It's, to, a, to, it's a guy. Oh, I, it's a guy. I, I, my, my, yeah, then yeah. even my apologies <laughs> in this day and age. I'm. I, I get the wrong gender. That's on me. I, but there you go. I. Uh, there you go. I don't even know. I don't know his career, how long he's been at it, or anything like that. But he he caught. I I, I noticed him for the first time. <laughs> uh, in 2021 and uh, it stood out and I'm looking forward to more from him especially his collaborations with um, uh, Daniel Semper's art I mean while it just pops off the pages collaborations with Daniel Semper on uh, Future State and I think it was on Action Comics as well and, and hopefully I don't know but hopefully Andrew and Lucas will, will collaborate with uh, Daniel Semper in Dark Crisis although I, I don't know if that's the case Yeah he was my pick in 2020 for his work on Freedom Fighters because it seemed like every issue there was a giant explosion that looked like an explosion. So yeah, he he typically works with uh, actually Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a fantastic pick. I'd pick him every year, but you know I don't like to repeat myself. Uh, so um, that being said, I, you know I did I did consider him. I also considered Enrica Angiolini, who I saw her work for the first time in Justice League Last Ride that we've mentioned a few times. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic, beautiful work. Uh, Esprin Grutterjen, uh, her work on Kang the Conqueror, which I've mentioned a few times, was also very, very good. Brad Anderson, his work is always fantastic. Typically, he works with Gary Frank. His work on Geiger, I already mentioned it, uh, especially on the covers, how that green glow just pops off the page. Uh, really fantastic. But ultimately, I went with an, uh, an artist that I already mentioned, I already picked, uh, because Again, the marriage of his line work with his colors is just absolutely perfect for the title of Clear, and that's Francis Manipal. So, uh, it, you know, it's not enough that he's giving us amazing line work, amazing storytelling, uh, amazing rendering and emotionality in the character acting and the, the facial expressions. He's nailing it with the colors as well. So, uh, yeah, it ended up being another pretty easy pick for me for best color artist. Uh, all right, Rocky, you're up next. Uh, best new talent. Uh, again, this one's a tough category because 
what somebody would consider a breakthrough year or, or somebody new, somebody else may not think. I remember when I used to listen to the uh, Comic Geek Speak um, best of that were voted on by the listeners. They gave Tom King best breakthrough talent like three years in a row. Like how many times is this guy going to break through? So it's all subjective. Uh, but who'd you pick for best new talent of, uh, of 2021? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to state my runner up and I'll let you speak. Cause I, I actually, I'm compelled to agree with your choice on this matter, but I'm, so I'm just going to talk about my runner up and my runner up is Jeremy Adams. And I, the only reason why Jeremy Adams never got the top spot uh, is because he's really only working on the flash and he's working a little bit. He's working with Jeff Johns and uh, Jim Sheridan on the upcoming flashpoint beyond. But what, you know, what I love about Jeremy Adams is that he represents exactly what all of us should want in best new talent. Somebody who's passionate, who loves what he does. And you can hear it in his voice when you interview him as we did. And he's, he, he's, he's always got a smile on his face. He's, he loves what he's doing and it shows. And he, wa- he, he wants more work. He wants DC to give him more work. And the only reason why the person who, there's only, the only reason why uh, he's a runner up is because he's only really working on The Flash and because DC was foolish enough not to give him more titles. They're starting to give him more and hopefully they will give him more. But ultimately, I, I love Jeremy Adams, and uh, he's definitely someone that I love because I have a DC bias. But there is one person that I'll let you talk about because I know he's your choice that I cannot deny has made a huge impact. And I think he's equally as passionate as Jeremy Adams. And the only reason why Jeremy Adams is not ahead of him in, in my pick is because this individual that you will mention is simply writing more titles and Marvel is smart enough to give him more titles to write. So take it away. <laughs> oh, your volume, your volume. Sorry about that. Uh, my pick is Jed McKay. Um, he's been around for a while, but as Rocky uh, intimated, he's getting more and more work these days and he's doing a fantastic job. Uh, he's given Black Cat, Felicia Hardy, probably the best voice that she's ever had. Um, they're giving him events like Infinite Destinies, in a classic event in terms of it crossed over in the Marvel annuals and a bunch of the Marvel annuals, like the old school events from the late 80s and early 90s. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, he's a part of that Beyond board that's doing the uh, Amazing Spider-Man. He's writing their new Moon Knight. Um he did death of Dr. Strange, which, uh, you know, I've never been a big Dr. Strange fan, but that was really compelling and a lot of fun. So, uh, he's a, he's a clearly somebody who loves comics, but he doesn't take it too seriously. And that's perfectly fine. The people that do, that do take it super seriously. And we, and we get, you know, works like dark Knight returns or Watchmen or, you know, something like that. But the thing about Jed McKay is he always brings a level of joy and fun with things like Taskmaster, he brings humor. He brings a nice balance. He remembers that, hey man, this isn't brain surgery. This is comics, and he keeps it fun. And uh, I'm hoping to have him on the show at some point to talk about all the work he's been doing. Because, yeah, he's he's somebody who uh, you really need to to pay attention to. Uh, a couple of other people that I considered, uh, but the reason that I ultimately went with Jed McKay is because I feel like uh, maybe people aren't paying as much attention to him. 
Um, but I also thought about Bruno Redondo for his work on Nightwing. He's been getting a lot of praise and all of it deserved. Uh, and also Daniel Samper for a lot of the reasons that Rocky talked about uh, when he picked him as uh, as his artist. So, uh, you know, Future State, Aquaman and, and Action Comics. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, Jed McKay was my uh, was yeah. my pick. I so. just want to add about Jed McKay that I moved farther and farther away from Marvel in 2021 for a whole slew of reasons. And <laughs> I, I wasn't paying attention to what to who was writing and drawing what I was reading of Marvel. I read Infinite Destinies, Black Cat, and Death of Doctor Strange. I, I thought those issues were compelling, and I literally never realized that Jed McKay wrote them until you showed me it on the list, and I thought, oh my God. Like, that tells me something right there, that this guy gets it. No wonder Marvel's giving him some work, and I haven't, I've not read his Amazing Spider-Man. I've not read his Moon Knight, but... Wow, now I'm inclined. Now I, I probably should. So, you know, it's another one of those things where I'm, sometimes it's really good to do these types of reviews with, with somebody with different points of view like yourself. It's like, wow, you know, it's like I realize, boy, like, well, it's nice to know that I got good instincts because what I was reading was actually pretty, was actually by a, a best new talent. So it's good to hear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, next title is most underrated book. So kind of similar to Sleeper or Surprise Hit, but maybe clearly if it's most underrated, it didn't become a hit. Uh, so what do you have here? What book did you think more people should have been talking about? Well, uh, before we get into that, I, I, once again, I can I can let you – I agree with you with, with the number one choice, but I got some runners up that I just have – I feel compelled to mention, and that is Rick Remender's Scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, this is an underrated book. I think it's a, I think it's a, I don't even, I don't know if it's a hit per se, but boy, is it, it's hilarious. I mean, it's a, a scumbag, literally a piece of human garbage, a drug addict who manages uh, accidentally getting infused with a nanite that gives him like age, uh, super, like gives him uh, a James Bond level of skill and intellect, not so much superpowers, but a, he becomes a super spy through basically an accidental injection of nanites. And he ultimately has to become James Bond, whether he likes it or not, and basically save the world. Rick Remenders is so good at just drawing. Like Rick Remender is great at incorporating the real world into parody and into humor and in a way that just really works so well. Uh, Rick Remender is also writing... Uh, uh, a righteous thirst for vengeance, which is pretty, which is pretty good. But in any event, Scumbag is is one of my most underrated books. Another one, I really think Old Guard: Tales Through Time is really good. Uh, Greg Rucker writes that. Uh, those who fans of Charlize Theron, if you can watch the Netflix movie uh, Old Guard about basically immortals that have uh, are basically. It's almost like their duty to to protect humanity, but they remain immortal throughout time. They they can't die, and. Uh, the comic book Old Guard Tales Through Time is just various artists and writers come and they tell various stories of these of these immortals through time. I'm a huge Highlander fan, and so it reminds me of that, and I've re really been enjoying that. I also think honorable mention has to go to Icon and Rocket. Uh, Reginald Hunlin has done such a great job with the Milestone universe, uh, Icon and Rocket. I, I think it's it's in its own universe that whole my, milestone line, and I think it's being served really well. Icon and Rocket, I know, is both of ours. Both of us share our love of that particular series that we review weekly whenever it comes up on DC Comics uh, Weekly. And so, uh, without further ado, I'll let you, uh, I agree with you on the number one underrated book. I'll let you uh, talk about that. Yeah, Deep Beyond was one that I thought about for the reasons I stated earlier, and I do encourage everybody to go and check it out. Also, Miles to Go uh, is actually tied with the, the pick that Rocky chose as well. Uh, again, for a lot of reasons I said, this is a book miles to go. It's crime noir. 
it's um, the story about a, a woman who was uh, used to be a hit person, uh, used to be an assassin, and uh, her past she's left it behind, married, had a kid, and now her past is catching up to her. Uh, sounds kind of cliche and tropey, but in the hands of artist Stephen Mulnair and writer B. Clay Moore, um, it's a fantastic, interesting, uh, and compelling uh, narrative tale that. Uh, with plenty of action, still gives some great character work. But ultimately, other history of the DC universe from John Ridley, Giuseppe Camoncoli did most of the art, is the book that I picked because it got a lot of press and a lot of attention for the first issue, and rightfully so. But after that, it's like people forgot about it. But all along, it was fantastic, whether it was talking about Asian uh, representation with Katana or finishing up, getting back to this idea of Jefferson Pierce with uh, focusing on his kids uh, we had uh, the LGBTQ perspective with um, the question, uh, Renee Montoya. So it, it was just, it's a book that really needed to be out there and more people need to be talking about because it, the title says it all. This is the other history of the DC universe. This is a history that's not talked about because so much of what was established and so much of what comics was, was straight white guys, right? And it, everything to do with the fact that the creators at the time, they were writing what they knew and creating what they knew. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, when you talk about, you know, diverse voices, persons of color and what have you in when the comic industry was being formed in its formative years, they just didn't have those opportunities, you know, whether it was because of unequal rights or, you know, women just weren't in the workforce or whatever reason. And so these characters have been created over time, some of them by straight white guys. And that's sometimes issues with the characterization that have since been corrected or are on their way to being corrected. Um, but it makes for some problematic history looking back. And John Ridley is exposing that and he's starting a conversation about that, which is so, so important. And so uh, this is just a fantastic book with really relevant themes and topics and conversations that need to be had. But on the other part of it, and I mentioned this before, the structure of it, the fact that it's prose with it's almost like an illustrated novel in a way because you get big text pieces, but you get fantastic art, beautiful color work. Uh, it's poignant. Ridley brings in real world events to ground the story even more. I uh, can't say enough good things about the other history of the DCU. I can't wait till there's a hardcover collection. I mean, I bought like just about every variant cover there was. I have so many different uh, copies of that and I still want a hardcover uh, because I imagine the collection will be beautiful. So yeah. Uh, yeah, my, you need to read this book. Yeah, I just want to give a comment on the other history of the DC Universe. And the reason why I also agree it's the most underrated book of 2021 is that <clears throat> for those people who don't read a lot of comics and wonder how grown adults can get obsessed and addicted to reading comic books and why we're so obsessed with continuity, what what I, what really stands about it stands out about the other history of the DC Universe is that it will in one in one issue it will, it will talk about the entire history of Renee Montoya who becomes the question. You started off as a detective with, as a Gotham PD detective. She comes out as a, as a lesbian. That's part of her journey, her character arc and her entire journey. This is told out with a lot of exposition and that's it's, so it's quasi expositional with, with gorgeous art, but it's encapsulating literally 25, 30 years of stories of the character, whether it's Katana, Renee Montoya or black lightning, for example, you're getting uh, an encapsulation of the essence of this character in almost like an, an expositional slash novelization slash comic book form. And 
and you're getting it all for the price of just one comic. And it's and John Ridley does a masterful job giving you not just the Cole's notes of the, of the history of these characters, but new insights into why these characters did, did what they did. So even if you're an old reader like you or I, Jace, we can read these stories and feel like there's something new again about them for the first time. And that's what makes it stand out. And it made me, when I finished reading the, the, the other history of the DC Universe issue dealing with Montoya, the question, or Katana of the Outsiders, or, or Black Lightning uh, with, his, uh, with his daughters, I felt, an, I felt a, almost a compulsion to go and, and reread those, those past issues from 15, 20 years ago that, that, that all this rich history, this continuity that John Ridley has taken and encapsulated into the other history of the DC universe. And this isn't, it, it's not near as political as people think. This is a character driven comic book that hasn't been getting as much recognition. And I think it, that's probably due to the fact that we still live, let's face it, uh, society right now, we're still in politically sensitive times. And, and I think for all the wrong reasons, this comic, uh, the other history of the DC universe does not get the attention that it very richly deserves. Yeah, it's it's too bad um, because, again, I think it got a lot of attention when it was first announced. Again, this was a black label book I was really looking forward to. It was announced as part of the initial lineup. Took a while to come out. I was perfectly fine to wait because this is what we got. It did get some attention when the first issue came out, but I, I think some people think it was only one issue long. Uh, it wasn't yeah. talked about. The conversation didn't continue, and yeah. it needs to. So, uh, all right, uh, moving on, not to get too negative, but we got to talk about biggest disappointment of 2021. <laughs> I am not going to beat a dead horse with this because we talked about it ad nauseum at the time. Um, and I know I've told you and Trevor this. Uh, I don't know if I've made it public knowledge, but I, I went all in on Future State. Like I bought every single Future State title. A lot of the titles, I bought two covers. Some I bought three. It was a stack that was like at least two feet, over two feet tall. And I spent well over $200 on, on Future State thinking it was going to be good. And it was below average at best. It was such a disappointment. And even the stuff that we liked about it, you know, as DC moved forward with their Infinite Front tier uh era i guess of of story what you and i found and it continues somewhat to this day is that it's problematic the fact that we know this possible potential future it ruins some things about where future state was heading with the magistrate and ruined some things about suicide squad well not re really ruined but it didn't allow us to be surprised because we had already seen uh you know glimpses of it and what happened in, in the future state title. So for me, it was a no brainer. I was disappointed with the way it turned out in the long run. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to belabor it either uh, because the fact of the matter is as, as much as I, I was disappointed in, in the fact that the, the, the best potential out of future state has not, was never really realized. We got some great issues of art and story here and there. Like I said, Daniel Simpair's Aquaman with uh, Adriana Lucas on the colors. They, I mean, I mean, it had some high points and had some good individual stories. I like Catwoman Future State. I mean, people can go back and look, look at uh, past podcasts and they can look at past uh, YouTube videos that we did where we reviewed every issue of Future State. Uh, you and I both with uh, Trevor Lankiewicz of Dark Knight Nation and we give a very detailed breakdown and it has its highs and its lows. But at the end of the day, it was DC 
in a in a point of transition. They they just been acquired by AT and T, uh, and you know Dan Didio had been let go, and th- this was these were new legacy heroes. Was flashbacks of them in the future, and it had mixed results. And unfortunately, like you said, it did kind of ruin the stories or taint some of the stories moving forward. But you know. I think we're hopefully we're largely out of that now <laughs> and we can sort of move on. And I think that these characters can be written much better now or explored uh, now that the, the taint of future state is behind us. Hopefully they can move forward to, to, to brighter days. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we can, the further we move away from it, the less important it'll be. Um, yes. So, uh, okay. Biggest comic story. So this isn't a story in a comic, but like comic news story, the uh, bad idea closing down, I thought was a huge deal. Um, but you know, it's all tongue in cheek because it keeps saying bad idea as you know, it is over. So maybe they'll come back at some point. Uh, but I did think it was a big deal just because their comics were so, there was such a buzz about them at first and their comics are really high quality. Um, but they are small. And so, you know, I know a lot of people are not even on their radar. So I went the other way and went with Substack, which was a huge thing. All these creators, uh, you know, tying in leaving um, uh, Batman or, or not necessarily leave because his contract was up. I want to make that clear. He just chose not to renew to focus on Substack. Um, and then it seemed like, you know, everybody and their mothers on Substack now. And it's huge life changing money. I mean, they are obligated to create a certain amount of content. Do I think this will last in the long run? I kind of don't based on what I've seen. I sub- have subscribed to a bunch of them and they're creators that I really enjoy their work and and I love and I want to experience what they're doing on Substack. It, the delivery system is just wonky. It's too, it, my, like I literally have hundreds of Substack emails, newsletters in my inbox right now that I just don't have time to read. Um, it's just tough. It, it's really hard. It's much easier and I know a lot of the, the creators, the reason they did this is they wanted to connect with fans in a different way, get away from the toxic social media of Twitter and whatnot. Um, but it's easy to engage with somebody over, a, you know, 200 characters. I can read it real quick. I can respond. I can like it. I can whatever. Um, it's much more of a time investment to go and read an email, read a newsletter, leave comments, that kind of thing. It might work for some people if you're not following a bunch, but I, I literally subscribe to like 20 of these things. Um, and I just, I just don't have time and I'm trying to get caught up between everything else I'm doing. Um, so maybe it'll work for some people, but, um, you know, reading comics in an email is not ideal either. So I don't think in the long run that it's going to last, but Hey, if you're a creator and you get offered by all means, grab the money while you can. I don't begrudge them that at all because there is no financial security or security in terms of (laughs) retirement or you know, medical coverage or any of that in comics. So grab the money while you can. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I agree with you. So, sorry. Are you, are you got more to yeah, say that's about it. that? No, nope. yeah. nope, <laughs> no, that's it. I'm done. I was just going to say, like, I, obviously I, it's hard to disagree. I mean, Substack is huge. I want Substack to sub- succeed. I really do because I, uh, because I, I want, I want these creators to get paid what they're worth and they're worth more than I think we can all agree they're worth more in terms of the entertainment and the, and the joy that they bring us and giving us these writing about these, these creatures of our mythology, these, these characters of our folklore in our comic books, they do an amazing job and they, they deserve to get paid for it. But like you, I have some doubts as to whether or not this will work, 
But I, but like I said, it's hard for me to navigate through all those emails. I've subscribed to a lot of emails and I don't read half of them because I've got, I've got a life outside of comics. It's hard enough to coordinate as you and I both know, especially you with your schedule, uh, you know, to, you know, just, just ha having a YouTube channel and doing two or three videos a week. And then you do how many podcasts and interviews, and then we're reading all these emails. Uh, I mean, it's fantastic. It's such a wonderful time to be a comic book collector because we got so much variety but will Substacks succeed? We're going to see what happens because right now we have an evolution in the comic book industry. We've got transitions happening at the big two. We're certainly at DC with Discovery taking over again. We got another crisis coming up. We got Marvel going through things at the MCU. And I mean, and we got a vibrant independent market. I mean, it's such an amazing, I mean, you know, it, to be very, to put the most positive, optimistic spin on all this nonsense, it is a great time to be a comic book collector because while all these creators are, tr they're, they're trying hard to find the best way to bring us the best comics that they can do it. And they're trying and they're the ones taking the risk. They're the ones going out there and not only do they want to succeed for themselves and their families, but they want to give us their best product. And the question is, how can you do that? And you mentioned a good point about Twitter. You know, they can't always, you know, the best way to, to communicate with us is sometimes through email because with Twitter nowadays, it's most, I know a lot of creators are afraid to tweet certain things on Twitter or open up too much on Twitter because it can be a little bit toxic and those are the times that we live. So hope, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what Substack evolves into, but whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we all want to su support these creators that bring us all these wonderful comics. Yep. Agreed. hundred percent. Uh, okay. Most anticipated moment or upcoming series of 2022. Uh, what do you got Rocky? Well, uh, I certainly agree with your choice, but I'm a D, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a DC guy and I, I'm looking forward to Dark Crisis. I'm looking forward. It's coming in. Uh, it's been building for a while. Uh, I will, and I say this ab absolutely, I, I guess you could say I'm almost like a crisis addict. So you are talking to the equivalent of a drug addict. Uh, so that means if I'm a drug addict, I'm both notoriously self-righteous and uh, everything that goes wrong is somebody else's fault. So, uh, <laughs> so what that means is I don't care. Uh, I need it. I need it, man. I need another crisis. Give, give it to me. I mean, uh, I'm a, you know, and I, I, I like what Joshua Williamson's doing. I, I miss the, I miss some of the continuity. I think the DC comics coming out of future state is, is a little bit wonky with its continuity, but the guy who seems to be the most respectful of continuity, at least in some capacity is Joshua Williamson. He's the guy who's the captain of the, the DC ship moving forward into the, into June of 2022, where we're going to be getting dark crisis art by Daniel Semper. Wow. I'm so looking forward to this. I, I, and I really like the way that Joshua Williamson is taking and incorporated the history of all the previous crises. And uh, we got this great darkness. I think that he's done a, a really good job incorporating it all together. And let's face it, man, if you, if you're a fan of the crisis, I think you're going to, you really, you've really enjoyed what's happening. If you've never been a fan of a crisis or you're tired of it because it, of course, we just came out of death metal. It does. It just seems like yesterday death metal was over. Yes, I absolutely am sympathetic with that. With the uh, sentiment that boy, God, another crisis. Come on, but 
the story here is good. I've been enjoying uh, Infinite Frontier into into uh, Justice League Incarnate. I've been enjoying Robin. Uh, I've been enjoying Deathstroke Incorporated with Libra, and I, I, I've been enjoying all these hints that something darker is coming. And I've been enjoying what's happening with Darkseid. And I'm looking forward to this. And frankly, any one of you out there that's a DC fan, I think this is an impossible event to avoid, notwithstanding the convoluted history that might be associated with it. Yeah, uh, that was on my list as well. I almost chose it. But the reason I didn't is the the, the reason that I've stated uh, about why I haven't enjoyed the, the Infinite Frontier series or the Justice League Incarnate series as much as you have. Uh, is very important. It's definitely a pillar of the DCU uh, and will set the tone going forward, like I've mentioned. But uh, part of it is the what DC is trying to do in terms of everything matters, everything counts. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Uh, in the past, when they've done things like Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is really you know one of the first big mega crossovers line-wide, um, even more so than, than um, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, which took the characters out of their regular books, but only for, you know, they were gone one issue and then they were back the next issue. And the whole, that whole 12 issue series, even though it took a year real time to come out, it happened between issues as opposed to what DC did when they did the original crisis on infinite earth, where, yeah, it took a year and it crossed over into books for a year. And you had that crisis trade dress on the top that just, you know, was, it just brings nostalgia and warm memories uh, to me when I think about it. Um, so it mattered. It was big. And then when they finally revisited it with Infinite Crisis, again, it was ma- it mattered. It was big. It crossed over into books. It affected everything. Final Crisis to a lesser extent, but still did so. Uh, everything that Joshua Williamson has been doing uh, with Infinite Frontier and Justice League Incarnate feels siloed. It feels so separate, but yet it's supposed to be so important. And again, it goes back to DC wanting people to be able to jump onto other titles and keep other titles going and sales and momentum. So I understand logistically how tough it is, but in a way it, it kind of lessens the impact or makes it seem like what Joshua Williamson is building to is less important, even though I don't think it is. I think it's highly important, but just logistically kind of the way comics are done now, it's, it's kind of diminishing a, a little bit. So I went with my other pick, the other thing that I'm super excited about, uh, and that's the second wave of best jacket titles. Uh, these are the books that for the most part, come out Comixology uh, digital originals first, and then eventually will be printed at Dark Horse. The first title was We Have Demons. We know that's coming up here uh, next, actually this month it comes out, March. Um, we get the first issue of We Have Demons. So things like Barnstormers, things like Face of Evil, things like Canary, Duck and Cover, uh, Dudley Dotson. I'm excited for this stuff. And the reason I'm excited for it is the best reason to be excited for a comic the quality of what has come before. Scott Snyder has already proven with the first wave of titles for Best Jacket with Clear, with Night of the Ghoul, with We Have Demons, with Noctera. Every single one of those titles I have mentioned as a best of 2021. This is the best work of Scott Snyder's career. Without question, this is the best thing that he's ever done. Whether a huge fan of his Batman work or not is not in question. Maybe it's American Vampire, maybe it's Witches, whatever he's done previously that you've loved. You better be reading this stuff because it is better. He's a better writer now with the experiences that he's learned. And the reason I think this stuff is better than the DC stuff is he gets to cut loose. Sky's the limit. He can do whatever he wants. There's no, hey, I got to make sure that I don't ruin 
the value of Batman's IP, you know, because they got to sell action figures and toys and pajamas and whatever. He can create whatever stories he wants. He can go R-rated if he wants. He can go X-rated even if he wants. The gloves are off. He gets to collaborate with these brilliant artists who are doing their best work. And at the end of the day, we, the comic fans, win because these titles are absolutely amazing. Um, he's he's um, experimenting with format when they come comes time to be printed. Some will be uh, all collected in one uh, printed form, you know, one graphic novel. Others will be single issues. Others may be, you know, they may play with the dimensions. Maybe some things will be landscape instead of portrait. Uh, it's just a fantastic time to be a fan of Scott Snyder. Uh, just based on the quality of what came in the first wave, uh, I love this. If Scott never goes back to doing any work at DC or never gets a chance to do stuff at Marvel, I'm perfectly fine with that based on the quality of this work. Uh, and not only that, it's a way to really emphasize that the digital platform, as much as I get the problems with Comixology, I hate them too. It needs to be fixed. And actually, I think what's going to happen is another player is going to come along and fill that role that Comixology used to fill. It's just going to take a little time because uh, IT development takes time. Um, but ultimately, digital is the is the spinner rack of the modern day. There's no, no easier place to go. We all have a computer in our pocket these days. You can go to Comixology or whatever comes later, and you can peruse titles and decide what you want to spend 99 cents on and read right there on your phone. Uh, you don't have to go to a comic shop. You don't have to have a big understanding. There's not a barrier to entry. Uh, and so the fact that Scott's releasing all these uh, digital first, I think, uh, says a lot about his belief that uh, that is the, the future of, of comics. Now, don't get me wrong. Comics will never go away. I'm not saying they will in terms of a printed format because they are a collectible as well. Uh, and there are plenty of people that just want to read it that way or just collect them and not even read them. And that's a valid thing as well. Um, so I'm not saying that digital is going to replace print, but digital is here to stay and it's a great way to reach new readers. So uh, for all those reasons, I'm really excited for the second wave of best jacket in 2022. Yeah. I just want to quickly add that, uh, but for the comiXology hiccup, which, which, you know, converting and making it part of the Amazon platform, well, it already was, but getting rid of a separate comiXology <clears throat> with the guided view and all that mess that they're trying to fix now, et cetera. Uh, I actually thought Snyder, Scott Snyder, has had the best deal. I, I think Comicsology presents with his with his clear and and uh, his up you know his clear duck and cover and canary and deadly Datsun coming up all that stuff. He's got the best platform from it, which is superior to Substack. I really think it's superior to Substack because it's already there. It's he's already he's got a great relationship with Comicsology. It's accessible on Comicsology. It read fantastic with guided view. Once once Comicsology or I guess Amazon gets their act together. And things, I think, I do think that's the future. I'm more confident. I think it's a, we have a better chance of Comixology getting better slash Amazon getting better than we do of Substack being, having the longevity to last. And I think Snyder is in the best position to do that. That's just my opinion. We'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be Substack, but it's possible because I know they are trying to um, to team up with somebody to, to uh, deliver the comics that way. Um, so I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, it's just unfortunate. Um, you can go look on my Twitter and see what my, my thought. I did a long thread about uh, with my experience in the IT field of, of what I think Amazon did and why they did it and what I think the, um, the future is for, for comiXology. Uh, 
So uh, go check that out if you're so inclined. But um, yeah, I guess that's it for our, our picks. Uh, agree, disagree, let us know on social media or if you're checking us out on the Comic Boom YouTube channel, leave a, uh, a comment below. Um, tell us how wrong we got it and what we missed and whatever we like. We love to hear from you guys. So uh, hopefully next year, uh, as I said, I'll, I'll have notes for the, all the books I read this year. Next year, we'll get this out a lot quicker. Uh, just a reminder, if you are listening to us uh, on the audio only, go over to YouTube, look for Rocky's channel. There's a lot of great content on it. It's comic space, boom, exclamation points where we do our weekly DC spotlights, as well as a bunch of uh, reviews actually for a lot of this best jacket stuff, as well as uh, plenty of other uh, content that Rocky puts out. If you're checking us out on YouTube and you've never gone over to the Comic Source audio only side, just go to your favorite podcasting app or uh, podcasting platform on your favorite smart device. Do a search for the Comic Source and subscribe, and you'll uh, be able to have access to all our content, including our Spawn Daily. Uh, as we go through every issue of, of the Spawn series uh, this year in celebration of 30 years of Spawn, so. Uh, plenty of great interviews coming up. Like I mentioned, the J.H. Williams one. We have some others coming up. I, I'll leave them as a surprise for you. Uh, but plenty of big, big names coming up. Maybe some of the creators that we've talked about today may be Woo-hoo! showing up. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Uh, anything to add, Rocky? No, man. Just uh, I'm glad we finally got this done. <laughs> While 2021 was still in my memory, it was I was glad we finally yeah. got this done to to, to share with uh, people who uh, care about our opinion. God forbid. <laughs> yeah, and guys, definitely go check out a lot of the books that we mentioned. They're very much worth your time. Really, something for everybody in the books that we mentioned. So, uh, again, Absolutely. thanks for the time. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.